intercepted by Drager, turned up for Gillingham. He's pounded along the boards by Steve Jakes. Good physical play here in the early going. We talked about Terry Raskowski saying, I want to see my guy who's hit. Well, he's at least getting that here. Now we've got Todd Gillingham and Steve Jakes going at it. Gillingham took exception to Steve Jakes pounding him, and then Jakes comes in after him. Gillingham kind of went after Jakes, and when Jakes said, okay, you want to go, let's go, and Gillingham kind of backed off a little bit. Gillingham thought it was over when Jakes thought it was just starting, and he caught him with a right and now a left, and Gillingham is uh, pretty soon going to be uh, imploring the linesman to step in and get me out of this mess. 6-2-2-0-2 is Gillingham, but I think Jake's just chopped him down to 2-6. <laughs> yeah, he certainly did. He took exception to what I thought was a clean hit by Steve Jakes. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So welcome everybody to episode 68, actual episode 90, and this is part two of my chat with Steve Jakes. First of all, I would like to thank everybody who listened to part one and uh, sent me some feedback via text or DM or um, word of mouth, however you... Uh, provided the feedback. I really appreciate it. Lots of positive stuff out there. And uh, it was my pleasure and uh, Steve's pleasure to bring you uh, part one of his career. So buckle up for part two in a few moments. If you're on Twitter, please consider following the show's Twitter account at Pod. If you're not on Twitter or if you are and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. If you enjoy the content of this program, you will enjoy the content of the social media accounts as well. So follow, like, um, whatever it is, friend, I don't know, with all these social medias, whatever it is, do that. I will return the favor in kind. Um, and if you're on my social media, you've seen my logo. And if you like that logo, that logo was done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. And Joe is available for hire. I don't know what Joe's schedule is as far as the holidays go. It may be too late to get some holiday art, but it doesn't hurt to ask. So feel free 
to reach out to Joe Marisich on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. Let him know that you heard about him on the Coliseum Chronicles podcast and uh, that Joe said to reach out and that uh, you won't be disappointed. That's how confident I am in Joe's ability. You will not be disappointed. So um, reach out to Joe for all your art needs. And uh, probably for the last time, I don't think, um, I think I'm done with the merchandise, to be honest with you. Um, In the beginning, I think it was, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, people were interested in it. Now it's kind of waned a little bit. And I almost feel like I might be wasting my breath every week. And you're, if you're a regular listener, you're probably tired of hearing it. It will still be available, but I don't think I'll be I'll be pushing it as much as I have in the past. Uh, regular listeners, you know where to find it. It's uh, There's uh, links on the episode description of this very episode that you're listening to. If you're interested, there are two links. One is for the classic logo and one is for the alternate logo. So uh, feel free to browse through the stores of Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise. And as always, and maybe for the last time, I don't know, there is a listener exclusive discount. And that discount code is Jake's 20. So that is J A Q. U-E-S-2-0. That will give you 20% off your entire order in either or both of the merchandise stores. So go ahead, fill those baskets, and at the end, enter code JAKES20 for 20% off. And that code will be valid for one week, ending next Monday, the 22nd. So um, for the regular listeners, the merchandise is always going to be there. I'm probably just not going to gonna pump it up anymore um you know to be honest with you it's almost not even worth mentioning it and if if you're uh someone who enjoys the content and you'd like a shirt like i said uh you'll know where to find it so uh so have that now just a few other podcasts i would like to mention the fourth line voice podcast with my buddy darren up in saskatoon his latest episode he interviewed winnipeg jet diehard hardcore old school fan William Chippeway. And I got to be honest with you. This was and Darren's done 160 170 episodes. This is probably one of my favorite episodes that he's done. Uh William knows his Winnipeg Jets fight stuff. He really does. He was there. He's seen pretty much most of it since they moved from the WHA over to the NHL. And Winnipeg has always been one of those teams uh, you know, obviously the Islanders are my favorite team. And, and if you've heard me mention it before, Quebec was always my second favorite team. Winnipeg was always one of those teams that we never really got on TV here in New York. It was always when they played the Islanders or the Rangers, uh, the Devils. Uh, so they were always one of those like mysterious teams, let's say, where you didn't see that much. kind of like Vancouver, too, because even Edmonton, even though they're kind of out, they're all out west. When Edmonton had those dynasty teams, they were on national TV all the time, and and we saw them a bunch. Winnipeg and Vancouver, really, we didn't we didn't see those teams too much. And uh, out of the two of them, Winnipeg was always the one team that I always found intriguing for whatever reason. And uh, Winnipeg, for the most part, has always had players that I've liked. And currently, Winnipeg is my second favorite team, as you know. Like I say. 
Um, wherever Kevin Sheveldayoff is, the general manager will always be my second favorite team. But the fact that um, Darren interviewed William and it was a lot of Winnipeg Jets talk, I really enjoyed it. And um, I know that Darren and, and William had spoken about maybe uh, sending William sending some footage to Darren, the old the old school Jet stuff. And if you guys do that, I would love to get a copy of that too. Um, you know, like I said, Winnipeg's just one of those teams that you feel like unless you're in Winnipeg, you, you've never seen all there is to see out there. So uh, uh, I love the interview. I listened to it yesterday, and um, I encourage you to listen to it. It was uh, it was just two old-school fight fans talking shop, and uh, and it, it was really, really fun. And uh, kudos to Darren and William. It was a really great episode to listen to. So please uh, check that out and check out Darren's back catalog as well. You will absolutely not be disappointed. Also, on the YouTubes, uh, fourth line voice YouTube channel over 25, 2600 fights right now that Darren has uploaded. And, um, like, uh, like I've said before, I'm going to try to alter the, like I say, like I've said before, if you've watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel. So, uh, definitely check out that YouTube channel, check out the fourth line voice podcast. And while you're at it, check out the five for fighting podcast with Alec Olin Salen, the the uh, Darren dubbed part-time Oli uh, down in Florida. Uh, Alex's latest episode was with Florida Everblade Nico Blackman. Now, uh, he posted this episode on YouTube, I believe, last week. And I believe it's going to be uploaded for podcast form for Dinosaurs Like Me uh, Wednesday. Or Tuesday. No, Tuesday. Tomorrow. Tuesday. Um, so that'll be available Tuesday. I'm, I'm interested to hear that interview because I don't know much about Nico and, uh, Nico is one of the unicorns in today's hockey that actually enjoys the physical style. So, uh, it's always good to hear it'd be, I guess it would be a lot like my interview with Yannick Turcott, where you get these young guys who, uh, who still have a taste for it. And, um, you know, still they play that, uh, as Brian Burke would say, truculent style. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to hearing the Nico Blackman interview with Alec tomorrow. And also if you're on Facebook and actually what, what Alec does, and I say this every week, he does his interviews on the enforcer appreciation page. He goes live on Facebook and I believe that's where he did this. I'm not a hundred percent positive, uh, but he does a lot of his interviews on Facebook live. So join the enforcer appreciation page and, uh, you can actually watch the interviews in real time. So definitely check that out. So to sum up podcasts, I want you to check out fourth line voice podcast, five for fighting podcast. I want you to check out the enforcer appreciation page on Facebook and the fourth line voice YouTube channel. So now it's time for the latest entries in the 2021 22 Islanders slash Bridgeport Islanders. I'm not going to get used to that. I, I, I even have it in my notes. It still says Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Uh, I'm not going to get used to the Bridgeport Islanders anytime soon. But it is the Islanders slash Bridgeport fight report. And since our last report, we have three new entries. Unfortunately, no new entries for the Islanders, uh, but three new entries for Bridgeport. On Halloween, Reese Newkirk had his first fight of the year against Patrick Kodorenko of Hartford. Don't know what happened. Wouldn't know Patrick Kodorenko if I ran him over with my car. Uh, on November 6th, 
First bout of the year for Seth Helgeson, fought Josh Wesley of Springfield. And then the next night on uh, November 7th, it could be a day game, I, I say night, but I don't know, uh, Reese Newkirk took over the team lead in fights with two when he battled Mike O'Leary of Hartford. So that brings you up to speed. Uh, Bridgeport has had six fights total this year, including one in the preseason, five regular season, and the Islanders are holding steady at two. Those were uh, Matt Martin's two fights uh, from October. So, um, you know, they play Tampa tonight, Florida in a couple of days, and then next week, uh, UBS Open. So, you know, who knows? Maybe you get the adrenaline going, you get the blood flow, and maybe you have a few more scraps coming our way. So um, that's all I really have for you uh, this week. Uh, nice short intro. Uh, don't have too much because the Islanders are now the newest NFL team. They play once a week, it seems like. So um, nothing really to report. I know everyone is anxious for next Saturday with the opening of the new arena. I am as well. Um, so nothing really – I'm not going to waste your time. There's really no other reason for me – to prolong this intro. So um, like I said in the beginning, I want to thank everybody who listened to part one with Steve Jakes. I know there are some people anxiously awaiting this uh, second part because we're going to really dive into the IHL uh, part of his career. And Steve has some amazing stories about that as well. So um, I guess that's it, folks. Uh, You people out there, again, thanks for the feedback and thanks for listening. And uh, stand by for part two with Steve Jakes. How did you end up signing with Boston? Okay, so uh, the year the the first year with um, Phoenix, we went all the way to the finals uh, against Peoria, mm. and in the final game, I had two points, and Randy a guy named Randy Scardo was a, a defenseman. He was uh, oh, first of all, I was mad because uh, Backstrom sat me in the sixth game, even though I was getting like a point a game. And, wow. For some reason, he sat me in the sixth game, but he put me back in the seventh game. So I was just out of my mind mad, yeah. and uh, I was going to – I was going for it, right? Mm-hmm. I guess uh, it worked, whatever, if he wanted to motivate me. Cause, uh, and so Scard is coming across, and I could just tell – I just – if he cut – if he, I see a seam, he's, he's basically making his forward stop at the blue line because he wants to rush it. Mm-hmm. So I saw this – starting to develop so i just charged at him and i i hit him like a freight train about 20 feet in front of our blue line and and just smoked him right just big scott stevens type hit Mm -hmm. so so we ended up losing that that game we lost in seven games to to peoria uh so i ended up getting signed by boston and uh the coach in boston is brian sutter well Mm -hmm. brian sutter was at that game and okay. Brian, Brian Sutter was a coach of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, he saw that and was, was one of the reasons that I got signed by Boston and they didn't know about my hip. I don't know what they knew about my hip, but I uh, basically couldn't work out that whole summer. And I, I went to, to camp just hoping that somehow hoping that I could op- work out on my upper body, but I couldn't do anything on my lower body. Just kind of hoping somehow it would be fixed by then. But I show up at camp and, you know, this Tim Waters thing is running through my head and I decided, well, there's really only one thing to do. My, I don't even know if I can skate enough to get through it. I need to do something. So I fought Darren Banks twice and Jamie Huscroft once mm-hmm. in the first, the first scrimmage. And uh, 
Bank, one of the fights with Banksy, I ended up wrecking my ankle too. Uh, but that night in the hotel, I get this knock on, on the door and I opened the door and Brian Sutter standing there with Michael Connell. And he said, you know, we have never done this, but we want to say to you that we haven't seen anything like that in this camp in 10 years. And we just wanted to thank you for bringing that kind of energy or whatever to, to Boston Bruins camp. And man, I, I just couldn't believe it. It was, it was so awesome for them to say that. And I just felt 10 feet tall and kind of validated what, what Timmy had said to me. And, uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Especially coming from Brian Sutter. I mean, it would mean a lot coming from anyone who the head coach was, you know, but coming from a guy like Brian Sutter played, who played the way he did, you know, you know he appreciates that. And for them to make that effort to come and talk to you about that, like you say, it doesn't get any better than that. Exactly, and that's a huge part of the story. He is such an intimidating, impressive figure. I mean, my first NHL game, I saw the Canucks, he was playing for St. Louis and he was just the man, you know, and so someone like that saying something good to you, which coaches don't usually throw around right. the too much. <laughs> yeah. They throw them around like manual covers. <laughs> exactly. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that was pretty cool. And I, I anyway, uh, when it got sent down cause of my probably, you know, I don't, anyway, I was sent down. Uh, I couldn't play the, the, the doctor in Providence was the guy who figured out what was wrong with my hip. So okay. I was there. So he said, here, try this stretch. And all it was, was a put your legs out and there was something messed up with my hamstring. So it, as long as I stretched out my hamstring was particular stretch stretch, it relieved all the pressure on my hip. So that basically saved my career. Wow. That's excellent. So, uh, in Providence, of course I got, you know, we got to do this again. So let's talk about the two guys you fought in camp. What was it like playing with uh, Jamie Huscroft and Darren Banks once you guys got down to Providence? Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Actually, I, I was rooming with Banksy uh, before the fights. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was quite a character. He's uh, I think, what is he? He's a, he's a character in Vegas or he's a, he's a, uh, he does something where he's around people and shows them a good time. And that's how he was for sure. Yeah. He's uh, a big shot now in Vegas. He's uh, it's like the, the golden Knights, the UFC, the Raiders and Darren Banks. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, Husky was just—he was a real professional. And I remember all I remember about him was we do skating drills, and he would beat me by half. I mean, he would—he was his body. You wouldn't tell it mm-hmm. that he was in some kind of wonderful shape, but you know, for a tough guy, for a defenseman, he could—he could skate forever. Yeah. And he was a good skater, and that—you don't realize it necessarily on the game, but. He just embarrassed me in practice. I, I, it was demoralizing because I thought, man, I, don't, I can't make the NHL. I can't even skate with this guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he ended up playing the NHL a lot after, the, after that year. Yeah. And uh, what about a couple of forwards? Uh, one guy who's already been mentioned here, Darren Kimball, you're his teammate, and uh, Bill Heward. So a couple of big boys up front. Yeah, there was another guy, uh, well, two guys, uh, just larger than life personalities. You know, that's if if there's a room full of people, they're going to be listening to Billy Heward or, uh, you know, Kimby's the same way. Now, Kimby, Kimby, uh, that was the year he, I think he was on his way to training camp in Boston and he got in that really bad car accident. Yeah, he got in the car. That's that season. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that wrecked his hand. His yep. hand would probably look like uh, a foot before that, but it was, it was, it was, I mean, I don't know if he should have even been playing, but right. I don't think he was 
he was, I don't think he was ever the same after that. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, from what you said, uh, no details yet. So I'm anxious to hear this. Uh, the team got a, a, a dose of Mike Milbury early in the season. So explain how that all went down. Yeah. So the second instance that of a, of a, of a coach or general manager, um, just attacking people on a personal level. He, uh, we, I think, played uh, two games, uh, and I think we probably lost both of them. And uh, he, 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 ta- he calls a meeting in the dressing room. So he's a GM in Boston, and we're an hour away, probably 45 minutes away from him, probably where he lived in, in Providence. So we're in Providence. He, uh, he comes into the dressing room, and he, he starts ripping guys about how much money he's paying them. Like Andrew McKim, you uh, so and so, I paid you blank blank, and you go out there and crap the bed, you know, just nasty stuff about how much he's paying guys, stuff like that. And it, it wasn't as bad as Bernie Lynch, but it was, right. it was uh, similar. Mm-hmm. So then he then he goes to John Blue. Now John Blue had just won every single fitness uh, contest in training camp. He won the distance run. He won the speed run. He won the the chin-ups he won he won everything and i think he let in one goal in training camp and they only put him in one exhibition game and i think he let in none or one goals there so he they weren't even playing him they sent him down immediately weren't even playing him so he says so obviously milbury didn't know this or he wouldn't have gotten to john blue and said john blue you're so blankety blank I tried to give you to every single team in the league and nobody wanted you. (laughs) And so, and then, you know, he finishes with, I'm going to be at every game. You guys are going to be so sick of me. You're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he he slams the door and leaves. And we never saw him the rest of the year. You know, never came to a single game. (laughs) But when he said that about John Blue, who we, we all, he just totally lost his credibility, you know, anything Mm -hmm. would have had. And it just gave you a little taste of who Mike Milbury was. Right. Yeah, he's. Uh, people have heard me uh, about how I feel about him, so I'm not gonna. There's no need for me to go in again, but uh, I'll just leave it at. I'm not surprised by anything you just said about him. Yeah, you know that's just the kind of guy he is, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, so you had a, a pretty eventful season here. I, I mean, let's start. Let's start at the top in a game against Utica. Uh, you fought Brent Severin and Serge Roberge in the same game. That is uh, that's some heavy lifting. What do you remember about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, Serge had quite a reputation, mm-hmm. especially since uh, in those rookie games in L.A. we had played against uh, him and his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I knew about him. I don't know how the fight started. It was uh, it was kind of just on the boards. Um, I turned around, and he I think he immediately grabbed my right, and I just switched my left, and I just tagged him and knocked him right down on his butt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say I knocked him out, but... Mm-hmm. I think I just surprised him. I don't think he knew, but he went right down. He looked bad, right? Yeah. And uh, so he cr- crawls back. Uh, he grabs me and crawls back up, and it took him like a minute and a half to get him off of me because he just wouldn't let go. He was so embarrassed. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Caused a big scene, so they ended up kicking him out. And uh, um, so pretty shortly after that, Sevy comes in to, I guess, re redeem some honor i guess after that and uh you know kind of pushed me into the net and um that wasn't 
I don't know, maybe he had a bad hand or something, but it, he just kind of was wrestling me around. And I know he's fight. I know he's been a fighter, but he didn't really do that to me. I didn't, there really wasn't any punches thrown and I, I couldn't get going. So I don't think I found much footage from this season, but I have a list of guys here. Uh, I'll throw out some of the bigger names. Uh, one guy who I think you uh, eventually played with in Houston was uh, Jerry St. Cyr, who was with New Haven that year. Do you remember fighting him? No, I don't. I don't remember fighting him, um, but he was also a 16 year old in New West. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. He he played some games in New West and, you know, tough young, but he's only 16. So, yeah. but, but, you know, he, I think he ended up being one of the top guys in the Western League. And I don't, I don't know, you know, how he did in pro, but I know he played pro. So, uh, yep. yeah. Uh, let's see. What about Dennis Vial? Yeah. Uh, so at the two fights I have with him are on tape too. So that's mm. kind of, I think I would have remembered the first one at least because it was in, uh, it was in Adirondack. And uh, I remember it being a really good toe-to-toe, you know, he wasn't hitting. So I could take a punch, you know, I could take a pretty good punch, Mm -hmm. but I also had a pretty good sense when the guy had his balance enough to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had, I had a pretty good instinct to duck at just the right time. if It was, (laughs) you know, coming like a freight train, but he was punching me probably just, just within my, pain tall threshold you know mm-hmm. so it was good it, and i was he doesn't really tie up so i was able to be punching him in the face so it was flesh on flesh and uh and then all of a sudden he does his little thing where he tries to get out of his jersey right mm-hmm. and i'm i am skating full speed he's skating full speed backwards trying to get out of his jersey and i know what he's trying to do right mm-hmm. <laughs> he's trying to get out of his, his jersey like uh uh, like Prober does in that because uh, they were in the same organization. And I don't know if he had done that before, but uh, yeah, I'm just chasing around the ice, trying to hold on to the back of his <laughs> neck. So he can't get out of his jersey. This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and then the next, the next time I fought him was uh, when he was in, uh, he was in Chicago and I was in, uh, in Houston, I think. Yeah. Uh, one guy you fought that year in the regular season. Then I believe you fought him again in the playoffs was uh Springfield Indian uh trevor steinberg do you remember fighting trevor yeah yeah i remember him uh they were kind of our rival right springfield yep. and, and they ended up mm-hmm. they were in fourth place we were in first and they ended up just beating us in the in the playoffs in the first round so that was a major disappointment mm-hmm. i think chiefs i think Chiefs scored the winning goal scott daniels yeah he I might think. have because i'm sure he played yeah. a ton down there yeah uh so steinberg had a big reputation um I don't remember the fights. Mm-hmm. I remember vaguely, but I don't remember it being anything uh, that I memorable, I guess. Yeah. Well, here's something I know you remember. Uh, Mike Stevens, he might have sucker punched you in the, in the game against Binghamton. Uh, do you remember that? And, and I think you may have gotten even with him a few years later. Yeah, yeah. Bingham had such a good team, man. They had uh, Zuboff and uh, Koval- Kovalev there and just a bunch of great, you know, Chahaki, Mike Stevens, a good player, um, Don Biggs. They were, they, I'm sure they won the league that year. They're called their cup. I don't, I don't know who could have beat them. But anyway, we're, uh, it was like the end of the game and, and this guy just going up the ice comes behind me and just punches me in the back of the head. Really hurt me, really stung, like almost like a concussion, right? Mm-hmm. And uh just out of the blue and i i look up and there's this guy scott stevens but or mike stevens mm-hmm. 
but it was the end of the game, so I couldn't do anything. Right. And uh, it was uncalled for. Uh, so story will continue a few years later. <laughs> well, you could you could tell it now. You, let's uh, let's bring it uh, bring everyone up to speed. So a few seasons later, you find yourself playing against them again. So take us through that. Oh yeah, I, I had my. I mean, it. I I don't forget. Mm-hmm. If it's something like that, I, you, you can't forget, right? Because a part of my role is is an is being an intimidator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you cannot allow people to to do things like that uh, without consequences. It's just the law of physics. So, uh, but you got to do it the right way. I'm not going to take a dumb penalty, so I have to wait till the end of a game or you know another scenario. But so he was he was in Cleveland. Uh, I had my eye on him. Um, and he probably had no idea why I did it, but the game was in, you know, it was determined. And uh, the whistle blew. He was carrying the puck. He went offside. I just came up. I was kind of in front of him. And I just suckered him right in the face with with my glove on. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to get suspended, but I just, you know, he had no idea why I did it. Actually, he ended up punching me between the linesmen and stinging me pretty good too. So I, <laughs> I think overall he got the better. He still owe him one. He's strong, man. And yeah. I heard about how strong his brother is, but man, yeah, it hit. So, uh, so how did you end up signing with Vegas? Okay, so uh, Bob Strom. Uh, Bob Strom was a GM in the Regina Pats, and my coach Jerry McGilvery from my, all my minor hockey league days was a scout for Regina Pats. Mm-hmm. So my first, and he had saw how much I developed as a as a fifteen year old, and so he immediately got me into the to Regina Pats uh, rookie camp, and I stayed there uh, for a few days after into main camp. So uh, you know, and I was actually living at the rink because they put all the bunks. So I got to know Bob Strom pretty good, mm-hmm. you know whatever, you know, so, uh, and then he was the GM in, in Spokane when we had all those battles in Spokane. So, uh, so anyway, he put together a great team in Vegas and, uh, it, I, I finished off real strong in Providence. I, I led the team in scoring in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another story, but it's not really a fighting story. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you go, go into it. I told you, this is your, well, your show. You, you yeah, tell man. whatever stories you want to tell. We're already two and a half hours into it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You go for it. Well, Michael Connell, I wasn't a fan, even though that we had a great first experience with him and Mr. Sutter. Um, I didn't really. Well, I so he, Mike, first of all, Michael Connell told me one day in uh, Frederick, he says, you're playing great jigs. You're the next defenseman to get called up. And that night, uh, Steve LaRouche hit me and broke my finger. Oh, shit. And, Oh man, I was, mm-hmm. and it was pretty bad. And so I came back after two weeks and was absolutely worthless. I mean, I just, I wanted to get back so bad because, you know, this is, this is my chance mm-hmm. and you can't make the NHL from the bench, but I was stupid because I couldn't cross check guys in front of the net. I could barely stick handle. Mm-hmm. It was so painful. I didn't know about painkillers for some reason back then, even l- later in my career, I took the edge off with some Tylenol. I don't know if for some reason I didn't even know about that. I should have at least taken some Tylenol. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're probably better off in the long run that you didn't really know about them. Yeah. You know, I mean, usually adrenaline takes over, but something like that, it just, it, I was terrible for mm-hmm. about a week. So he got down on me and, mm-hmm. um, and I played the best game of my career defensively, uh, 
one night in Adirondack and he stabbed me the next game. So Jeez. it was about 10 games before the playoffs. And I just, and he was big on not defensemen, not doing anything except shooting it off the glass, except for Stefan Richet. He was allowed to do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just defied him and uh, I just started gambling and it was working out. And I ended up, he ended up putting me on the power play and I ended up leading the team in scoring or tying for lead in, in the playoffs. And, and it was real. Yeah. So they, we had the year end meeting and it wasn't quite clear uh, that they were going to sign me. And I was, I think I was making 35,000 a year and Vegas said, uh, you know, Strummer wanted me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and this was right away as soon as the season was over and he offered me something like 55 and 65,000, which wow. You're almost doubling your salary, you know, and I, right. and starting up this IHL, which was really trying to compete with the NHL in yep. Ottawa, almost like the old WHA with the big cities. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, you know, I'm, I can't wait. I don't want to wait for Boston. And if I'm good enough, I'll get called up anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. I got, so I took the money and that was the worst. If I can tell young people in a life lesson, I made a mistake because every single guy I played with, the year before got called up to the Bruins and Bruins were really good about calling their guys up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew they had the best reputation for calling their minor leaguers up and giving them a chance. So I know I, I'm not saying I would have been an NHL hockey, you know, a mainstay, but I would at least got a taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I chased the money and there was almost like a blacklist or a boycott against the IHL and no, hardly any players from the IHL got, got chances to, mm-hmm. to go up to the NHL teams. They were always taken from their affiliates you know, so that was a major, uh, in hindsight mistake I made in my career. So, uh, I got to, so, you know, straight, we put, he put together a great team. I mean, he had too many good players. He, mm-hmm. some, cause some careers went there to die. Like, uh, Steve Goddess and, mm-hmm. and Randy Smith didn't even get a chance to be on the ice and, uh, hardly. And I don't, I don't know why Strummer didn't trade him cause these were good players, but, uh, that's, that there's things out of my league, but, um, so I went. So I went to uh, to Vegas, and uh, the coach was Butch Gorn, right? Mm-hmm. Islanders, and I've heard some guys really say a lot of good things about Butch, and uh, I'm a little torn because the first exhibition game we played against his old team in Salt Lake, mm-hmm. and he went down to four defense and sat me and I think probably Jimmy Kite uh, in an exhibition game just so he could beat his old team. And wow, I, that's crazy. I thought, oh, this is going to be a long year. Mm. And, and really, you know what? That whole year, it didn't change. It wasn't as bad, but I, I'm i not a, at that point, and I, my whole mentality was, was playing, intimidating, getting the other team off their game, fighting when I had to, but just sitting on the bench and going out and grazing stuff. And it's just, reduced my effectiveness and I wasn't just going to go challenged and I, and I ended up doing it a bunch that you're just going and challenging the other guy's tough guy just to get ice time or just to do something, you know? And, and that was, that was not good for me. And, and, um, and, and I say Spenrath, Lyndon Byers, uh, I'm, I'm missing some, so you get some other guys, but, yep. but you just wouldn't play him. I mean, wow. it was almost like the NHL. And you've got tough guys and you've got the good players and the two won't mix. <laughs> I, I thought he harmed a lot of guys and end up, you know, I don't know if this is why, but we didn't, we ended up getting beat in the first round, even though we had the best uh, regular season record. So take me through the scenario where you sign with Vegas 
And then you you end up with Salt Lake for about a week and a half, and then you end up back with Vegas. Take take me through that whole scenario because I found that quite odd. Well, they brought Topper in, Kerry uh, Toporowski, and I, I don't I don't know why they brought him in because you know Butch, like I said, he wasn't really a fan of tough guys, but uh, I think Topper knew, and so Topper wouldn't didn't really play. He just went out and fought and mm-hmm. caused a big ruckus. I think. Yeah. In nine games, I think he had 130 penalty minutes. It was, I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> but that didn't really work out. So they brought this guy who ended up playing the NHL, uh, Brett Hauer, from college. Mm. And so they had really high hopes for him. Uh, so I became, you know, I would, they considered me the sixth defenseman, which I think was probably right. I mean, we had Todd Richards, Jam Richard, Jeff Sharples, um, Rod Boskus, and Jimmy Kite and me. Mm. Jimmy was usually my... my uh, my D partner. So they traded me for Larry De Palma mm-hmm. and Larry De Palma. There's some rule where an NHL team would, uh, Minnesota picked him up. Okay. And so it annulled the trade, but the, they already told Larry and I that we were traded for each other. Right. Mm-hmm. So they decided, well, we need him and we don't want him yet. And uh, so they said, well, just go, even though they just kind of went and I was like, agreed it would be, I would go back if they needed me, and that's what happened. And then ten days later, they needed me. That's so. That's bizarre to me. That's crazy, <laughs> you know, that that happened. But uh, so let's start with let's start with Salt Lake then, because you you ended up playing in three games there, uh, three games, one assist, uh, four penalty minutes. Uh, so your one your assistant coach is someone who who I'm a very big fan of, Chris Pryor. Uh, head coach was Dave Farish. Uh, what was it like? I, again, we're, it's a small sample size. Uh, what were your impressions of those guys? Uh, so I only saw Chris one day. I think he had some personal thing or something, or okay. maybe went to, he was only there one day and he had to leave town. So I didn't. I only had one practice with Chris, but you know, mm-hmm. he's got quite a presence. Just yeah. that one. Practice. I think he was in better shape than anybody on the team. So. I think he still is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave. Uh, my impression was that he went, so they were in last place, right? We were in first place and the guys were complaining about all the physical fitness, especially the bike rides and the skates that they had to do. And my impression was that Dave just went too hard on them mm-hmm. now and, and it almost broke the team. It was a very bad uh, vibe. You know, just the, the mood on the team was very depressive. I felt, um, and, yeah, I, I needed to get in shape, so I didn't mind riding the bike. And by the time I got there, I think it had toned down quite a bit. But that was that was the story I heard. Um, so I don't I don't know. You know, it's probably a fine line. I always felt like we weren't in condition enough on the teams I played on, and, and maybe he went too far the other way. I don't know. So um, there's a few guys I want to ask you about, and and the interesting part about this is these guys were your teammates for ten days or so, and then you ended up fighting Salt Lake City guys a lot that year. So, like, for instance, you were a teammate of Jason Simon for a week and a half, and then I think you fought him at least twice uh, when you went back to Vegas. Uh, so what are your impressions of playing with Jason and then fighting him? Well, there's, there's quite a story with Jason and I. Um, so we got in a fight when I was in Vegas uh, and be- before I got traded there, and he got on top of me, and he his finger – uh, essentially i feel like he tried to take my eye out i don't know what he would say about that but mm-hmm. his finger went right up into the back of the socket of my eye i felt like and uh, i'm surprised i still have an eye jeez 
So, uh, so, you know, the next chance I got, I, you know, the next game I tried to wait, I knew we were going to play him a bunch. So I tried to wait a little bit so he wouldn't suspect, but I, I lined up and as soon as the ref dropped the puck, I took a two handed baseball swing at his ankle and, uh, he, he saw it coming at the last second. I, I think I just got his blade. I missed him. Mm-hmm. But I, he knew I tried to break his leg or break his ankle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think we probably fought after that. I don't even remember. But so, so they trade me to Salt Lake, and they're on the road. And I walk into my room. Guess who's my roommate? <laughs> Jason <laughs> Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I swear we didn't say a word to each other for 10 days, the whole 10 days I was there. I, I, I say that. I think we probably started making grunting noises with like going down to meals after a few days, but it was, it was a few days before we even said a word to each other and, and living in the same room on the road. Um, Mark LaForge was also in Salt Lake and uh, everyone has uh, anyone who's played with them or played against them. Everyone knows uh, what Mark's reputation is as far as being a, a, a crazy person on the ice. Uh, were you around him long enough to get any feel for, uh, for Mark? Uh, you know, I played against him a little bit. So I saw some of the, some of the things that he was doing. He obviously had that reputation mm-hmm. from what he did in junior. Um, yeah. I, I think he was part of that group that was just, just, beaten down and not really into it mm-hmm. whether it was the losing or whether i don't know what it was because i you know who knows i didn't i got there later on but he just didn't seem into it uh two other guys that you were teammates and then you ended up fighting that year uh dave chisowski and tony joseph what do you remember about uh those guys and the fights that you had i don't think i ever fought tony joseph isn't he that humongous guy uh, well, the, what I read is that you fought him and Jason. Si- yeah, he's a big dude. Uh, I I read somewhere where you may have fought him and Jason Simon yeah. in the same game, but I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. Oh yeah, uh, Chizer. I think you know, we probably fought a few times. You know, I he he would as soon as I switched to the left, he didn't want to do that anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> he's he's good little. He's got the rights going, and he did, as soon as I switched, I think that was that was it. Mm-hmm. But I don't. know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. No, I don't. Listen, you were there. Like I said, I thought you fought Tony Joseph, and uh, apparently I was wrong. So who knows? But uh, but, but the thing about Chizer is, uh, you had to run through a stick to hit him. Mm-hmm. And I thought I I respected that. I didn't like you know. I respected that he mm-hmm. was. You were you were going to pay the price if you were going to try to make his life miserable, and uh, and that was very effective. And then he would back it up if he had to. So uh, in the physical part of the game, I respect him a lot. And you fought uh, Wayne Doucette uh, that preseason, correct? Uh, well, yeah, probably. I was probably so mad at Butchie, I just was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you find yourself back in Vegas, and you find yourself, uh, you know, again, you're a teammate teammate with Ben Rat, so that had to be nice. But like you said, you're talking about the team that Strum put together. Really, really talented guys, but really, really tough squad. You know, yourself and your D partner, Jim Kite. You got Spenrat there. You mentioned Lyndon Byers. You mentioned Buskis. You mentioned Topper. Uh, Kirk Tomlinson was there. Even at Clip Malarchuk. That that had a feel almost like an NHL team. Not, you know, with some of these guys, like a Lyndon Byers played all those years in Boston. Malarchuk in Buffalo. Jim Kite. Buskis. And then some of the, the skilled players there. And 
it had to almost have well i don't know maybe with the with butch there maybe it didn't but that had to almost feel like an nhl locker room no yeah it was it was you know by then i was old enough that i played with so many guys that you know, most of the guys you play with played in in the nhl before or after uh, especially my first year in phoenix you know that was full of nhl guys so mm-hmm. it was like a dream come true golfing with these guys and golfing with my heroes but yeah, we had a really good team. Uh, Strummer, I don't know how he did it. Uh, I don't think he blew the budget out, but he was just really good at getting really good players in. And uh, and guys were, I think for the most part, guys were at the somewhat at the top of their games. You know, a lot of times older NHL players come down and they're just done. Yeah. And uh, they really, should, it shouldn't. But most of these guys were, were, were playing. We ended up being the best team in the league, although the playoffs were a disappointment. And what you? What were your impressions of Bob Bourne, who was the assistant coach? Oh, I got a funny story about Bob Bourne. <laughs> so, uh, Butchie, uh, Butchie wanted Bob to do a chalk talk, you know, pregame chalk talk, and uh, get him more involved. You know, mm-hmm. I think they must have been buddies from back in the day, right? When they, they played together. Yep, they were yeah, on the, yeah. the cup winner, the cup teams. I, I think was. Bob, if he's not a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer in my eyes, and most of the other guys, and he's a legend. Yep. Right to us. Hundred percent. Yeah, and so, and such a nice guy. But uh, Butchie has him uh, given us all the chalk talk, so we're all huddled in our our you know our warm up room before we get our gear on, and and Butchie's uh, our Borny's got the grease board right, the the handheld grease board mm-hmm. with the grease pens, mm-hmm. and and he's so nervous giving his first <laughs> chalk talk, he's sweating. <laughs> what is dripping off his forehead onto the grease board so he's trying to write the plays on the grease board and the sweat's messing it all up and he's just saying <laughs> that's hysterical we're all looking at him like thinking i'm sure everyone's thinking the same thing as me like you gotta what are you nervous about Barney? Mm-hmm. you're a legend we're a bunch of scrubs and you're nervous about you know chalk talking us it's, it's so funny yeah <laughs> no he's he's so underrated as a player i think it's easy to uh, you know, anyone that talks about those dynasty teams, it's always the the big four, you know, guys and everything. But I mean, Bob Bourne on any other team would have just been one of the studs there for everything he did. I mean, they don't win those cups without guys like Bob Bourne because you know, he did everything. I mean, he's a he's a pretty big man. He skated like the wind. He did everything right. Like so, I mean, Islander fans of a certain age, like my age, we I love that guy. That guy was so key to those cup teams. It's crazy. And I have, uh, yeah, and and then and, and one more story about Bob. Uh, he's the only, co- I think he might be the second coach. Gary Unger may have done it when I was a rookie against Kevin Kaminsky, but I don't remember that as much. But uh, uh, Borny tapped me on the shoulder mm-hmm. for uh, to go out against Andy Bezo because Bezo was running around. And yeah. <laughs> only coach to ever tell me to go. He didn't tell me to fight him, but he, he said something like, Go out there and make sure that guy doesn't, you know, hurt anybody or yeah. something. <laughs> but Mike, I, I respect, you know, he would. Not, that was unusual. He wasn't the type of guy that would do that, and and it was called for. So, uh, thought that was interesting. I would say that my guess is uh, there have been uh, at least a handful of guys that may have gotten a tap to go out and uh, tell Bezo to calm down with the way he played. So, uh, so you're probably not alone in that one. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What were your impressions of Radic Bonk when he was there? I know uh, in one of those ESPN2 games, 
the following year when they played San Diego, uh, Dean was all over him. He just he wouldn't stop chirping and everything like that. Uh, what were your impressions of him as a teammate? Uh, well, he wasn't real good with English, yeah. and uh, his parents were living with him, so he was kind of insulated a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, no no problems or anything. Yeah. Uh, he he they put him on the top line with I think uh, Patrice Lefebvre and Ken Quinney, if I can mm-hmm. remember right. So he got so it, that in that way it was hard to tell almost how good he was because he was playing with such good players. So yeah. he obviously put up the numbers. He was obviously good, but it was almost hard to tell how much he created himself. And then he was an absolute, he was a man in, you know, he was, he was only, what was he, 17 or 18, but he was, he had a man's body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying to hit him in practice one day and saying, vowing to myself, I'm not going to try that again (laughs) because it hurt. (laughs) So for him to get first overall, uh, certainly didn't surprise me. And, and it was just a matter of how skilled is skilled, you know, at that age, but certainly an NHL prototype all the way with his physicality. Yeah. And you brought up another guy who I, I think if you didn't know much about the IHL at the time, you didn't realize Patrice Lefay was an unbelievable player. I think if he was a few inches taller and a little heavier, I, I don't know, we could have probably played in the NHL, but that guy was an unreal player in the IHL. Oh yeah, he was yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think you may have asked some guys who their funniest teammate they mm-hmm. were, and uh, bar none, my funniest teammate ever was Randy Smith on that team, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Randy called him Pat Rice. Pat Rice. <laughs> <laughs> Randy gave everybody a nickname. Um, what was yours? Uh, well, I had about five of them. They evolved. So first, I was Jacquees. And then I was Queez, and then I was Queezanart, and then I was Nart. <laughs> so it was it was really just, uh, yeah, like you say, it evolved from one word to another, but it was all forms of the same word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, he, 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 uh, I'm in the shower with him one day, and he goes, this was just kind of early on, and he looks me up and down, and he says, well, look at those lucky legs. And I said, <laughs> said what are you talking about? He says, he says, your legs are so skinny, you're lucky they don't snap off and stab you in the chest. <laughs> I said, you're only saying that because your legs are skinnier than me and you don't want anyone to come after you first. <laughs> but that, that's where Randy Smith, he's the funniest guy I ever played with. So when you're playing for Vegas, you obviously you play a bunch of games against Phoenix. And uh, I saw you had a couple of scraps with... Uh, uh, guy Daryl Williams, you played you played with him, and then uh, Keith Redmond and uh, Kevin Kerr. Was it weird fighting uh, fighting against Phoenix, or is it just another team at that point? No, I think anytime I fought my, my old teams, I had a little extra mm-hmm. revenge. You know, I I took it a little bit personal. Um, probably not good for me as a person, but. Mm-hmm. As a hockey player, it's probably good to yeah. <laughs> take things personal when your your when your job is to make life hard on the other team. Right. So I don't really remember. I mean, I remember playing with Daryl and how hard nosed he was. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't really remember those fights, so they must not have been uh, that great. I think uh, this is the first year that you may – I know you fought him a couple of times. First year that you fought Dodie Wood, do you remember uh, your series against him or just what it was like fighting? 
Yeah. Uh, so he 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 cut me on my he punched me in the nose so hard that I have like a I still have the scar. It's like a a Z, like a Zorro scar. Oh wow! My <laughs> nose. And, uh, um, I think Towner told Graham Townsend told the story about uh, me being on the bench and Terry Ruskowski coming in. And I, I think Graham embellished it a little bit. Like, I think I did ask Terry to go back out so I could fight him, but I didn't really mean it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring that up uh, in the, uh, in the next year with Houston. So, uh, cause obviously I had to reach out to Graham about that, but. Uh, oh, but, is that okay. I got my years mixed up, but yeah. when Terry, Terry said, no, you're, you're done for the night. Yeah. <laughs> I just inside. I had a huge sigh of relief. Another guy that you fought more than once, uh, Steve Fletcher, who uh, I think the first time you met up with him, he was at Fort Wayne. And if I'm not mistaken, if the, if I read this correctly, you may have fought Phil Crow in that same game. You had Crow and Fletcher in the same game. And I know you fought Fletcher at least one other time. Uh, what do you remember about him? Yeah, I think I think they were uh, decent fights. I think mm-hmm. that they were kind of typical of a lot of my fights with big guys where, you know, I, I don't, I, you'd have to ask them, but I don't think big guys like fighting little guys because if they're in a no-win situation, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. like if they win, they're supposed to win. If they lose, it looks really bad. So as soon as I start hitting these guys, uh, I think with Fletcher, they just kind of tie me up and <clears throat> or throw me down. I, that's, that's my impression of how those usually went. And then the one with uh, Phil Crow, um, I know he told my, uh, Kevin and I went out for dinner cause Kevin was playing with him at the time. And he said that Crow said that I really surprised him because he had no idea who I was. So mm-hmm. that made me, that didn't make me feel good because he didn't know who I was, right. but, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I did okay against him. <laughs> yeah. You take the good with the bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So uh, how'd you end up with Houston? Well, once again, you know, uh, well, once again, it was the money. They kept yeah. mm-hmm. they, the IHL was paying a lot, and they were going to bump me up to who knows, I don't know, seventy to seventy-five. So, you know, and at the time they were, I should have, I should have known to go back to the American League, and I think I could have at that point. Mm-hmm. And and, but the money was now even better. Right. And I just lied to myself, saying, "Well, if I'm good enough, I'll make it." You know, mm-hmm. and and it, that just wasn't reality. Um, so. Uh, you know, I talked to Strummer, and Strummer was really good to me. He didn't have to let me go. He had actually held on to some guys and, and kind of try to get some compensation, but he liked me enough to to let me go. Um, certainly wasn't going to go back to Vegas because I, I actually at that point I remember telling Strummer, and I don't know if I was talking to myself or what I was true, but I said, well, I'm just going to try to really beef up and just be a fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really tried hard. I worked so hard that summer. I got a personal trainer. Actually, Rich, Rich, I think came to the island, but uh, Rich was the trainer there, and he trained me. And I, I was weighing my meat. I was doing everything that he told me to do, and I only gained like five pounds. <laughs> oh, uh, I guess it's got to be hard to put weight on when you're playing as much as you played, because you're going to lose weight during the course of practices and games, aren't you? Plus. You know, they're, they're a lot better at it now. We didn't really know by the time I knew. And I felt like anytime I lifted weights, I lost my touch. So during the season, it was just not, you know, you're not going to build. But this was the off season, so I really tried to build. And it, it, right. I, 
I, I really felt like I did everything I could other than going on steroids or something to, and it, and it didn't quite work. So, so I ended up going to, to Houston and, um, uh, Curtis Hunt was there. Uh, you know, we had Kevin Grant. We had a pretty solid, uh, Gord Krupke, mm-hmm. uh, solid, tough defense. Um, Terry didn't kind of, once again, I didn't make a very good first impression. Terry Ruskowski didn't like me that much. And so I just started fighting mm-hmm. and, you know, he loves fights. <laughs> I fought my way into ice time and that was, I guess how, how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I like about hockey is I always knew where there's a, if you were willing to do that, then they'll find a place for you. And I don't know if that's the case, probably not the case anymore, but back mm-hmm. then, if you were willing to do that, they, most coaches would, would, would repay you with ice time. And, and that's how it went. Yeah. So, you know, I got to ask you about uh, playing with Graham Towns and uh, I'll let you go first and then I'll, uh, I'll tell you what he said about you. Well, I remember playing him, uh, you know, when I was in Providence and he was in capital district and mm-hmm. he very scary guy i think i i think it was one of those things where i'm so scared i got to prove to myself that i'm not scared so i cross check him in the ribs in front of the net and (laughs) just hope he doesn't uh turn around and do something you know Mm -hmm. yep and snap me like a twig so uh you know we know i don't think we ever fought but uh yeah he became my my best friend on the team and and uh he's still my best friend that are Mm -hmm. that from hockey we had a lot in common and uh, we did we did hockey ministries together. We always had chapel before every game, and did a lot off the ice with uh, with him and Lorianne and and my wife Wendy. So uh, we we I loved uh, you know loved get to be his teammate, and he was a tough, hard player. He scored twenty goals a year, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't getting a ton of ice time either. Um, I think he said that in his podcast, but yeah. uh, he was an intimidator for sure. So. Um... He said this, and I and it, the cool thing is, I think when I reach out to guys, and like you say, you mentioned how close you were, so it gives everybody an opportunity to kind of pump each other's tires and actually say some nice things that, uh, you know, maybe who knows how much people keep in contact. But knowing Graham, I could just imagine that he, he really enjoyed relaying the story because you, know, you know how much of a good guy he is and everything. So, uh, so he said, uh, Jake's is. Pound for pound, the toughest dude I've ever met. I couldn't believe the great kazoo was only a buck eighty when I met him in Houston. He said, Jake's got into a fight with someone from Phoenix during preseason. He got a huge and very deep gash, so deep you could see fat tissue right between his eyes for several stitches. A week or so later, he fought Dodie Wood, who reopened the gash. While Steve was on the training table being restitched, all he could talk about was going dopey, his words again. He had a knockdown drag out with our coach, Terry Ruskowski, who was adamant Steve not continue. I think Terry won that argument, but just the fact he wanted to rematch him so soon after that was just mind-blowing to me. So. <laughs> I'm not sure Graham's got all his timing correct, but that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, nice of him to say. And, uh, you know, that was, I'm glad he, I, I'm glad he, uh, I'm glad he felt like I was doing my job, my part, because that's a big part of what every player should do is 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 boost morale on the team, right? So there, it's kind of two parts: is you is you fight to intimidate the other team, and you fight or hit or do whatever you're doing on the ice to um, to boost your own team's morale. Mm-hmm. And if you're if the if you show cowardice, there's not no bigger morale killer than that. Um, or if you, if you show selfishness by taking dumb penalties 
or just fighting when you feel like fighting because you're mad, that that doesn't boost morale and that doesn't that makes people want to play for themselves. They make them want to leave early when it comes playoff time because uh, you know we don't get paid much in the playoffs. Uh, so if you got bad morale, you're not going to win in the playoffs. Mm. So uh, just thanks for sharing that, and I thank Graham for uh, for saying that. Uh, one guy you mentioned already, and I think he's sort of uh, undercover tough. I don't think he really gets a ton of credit, and I think he was a pretty tough guy, and that's Curtis Hunt. What do you remember about playing with him? Uh, well, th- unfortunately, he had a really bad back, and I, I don't. I think he brought it in maybe, uh, but he definitely got it, got real worse, so he was in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to know him pretty good. He battled through it, but I think it just – almost became too much for him. So yeah, obviously he, he would fight and hit, but with a bad back, I mean, if you've ever, I'm sure if you've ever had a bad back, you can't do much. Yeah. You can't even sneeze. It just, uh, you know, you want to cry after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember fighting Todd Gillingham and Barry Dreger in the same game? Yeah, I do. Cause it's on video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to cherry pick the ones on video here. But uh, yeah. even still, those are two guys you might remember even without the video. I, I, you know, th- those are two good examples because that, that what I did to Gillingham was uh, – so I kind of identified him as a bit of a hothead. Mm-hmm. And so I ran him. And I knew I kind of ran him and uh, that he wouldn't like that. And I knew he was coming after I ran him. And uh, sure enough, he came and he, he punched me and I – I don't, I, I kind of face washed him a little bit just to egg him on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he started punching me just like I hoped I was going to draw a penalty out of it. Uh, you know, if he would have just, hey, let's go and let's square off, I would have squared off. But when you're going to be a hothead and run, I'm going to take the advantage and get that two minutes. So I did that. I ended up taking my, you know, throwing my gloves off after he'd punched me. You know, so the ref saw it. So the ref's obviously going to give him an extra two. And then I ended up, uh, you know, he didn't know, I guess, could throw left or whatever, but he kind of let up. And I, mm-hmm. So I switched and just smoked him with the left a few times. And then he let go of that and I smoked him with the right. So he was down trying to tie my shoelaces up. And that's always <laughs> always a good luck. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then you and had then another fight. Then you fought Barry. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I knew he he was the man, I think, for them. And uh, I, I knew he was a lefty, but... Uh, I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it, I think it was good to know. You know, we didn't have the internet back right. then. And mm-hmm. all it was, you basically, if they were in the NHL, you could see some of their fights on highlights. But mm-hmm. uh, really, mostly, I don't think we would see. So you just have to go by word of mouth right. if you hadn't seen someone in person. But I always did good against lefties because I'm naturally a righty. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm good at uh, what most lefties are good at is keeping their balance and punching just hard enough to make it count, but not losing your balance. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it happened with him and I was able to, to keep my balance, go right to his left. And then when I felt like he had wound up for a really big one, I ducked just in time and got two more good shots. in. so it worked out pretty, pretty good in, in the fight against, uh, against Barry. Now the next, if we would have fought again, it might not go so good, but it, it went okay that time. Right. Uh, and I'm sure you have to remember fighting Kevin Evans on back-to-back nights. Yeah, yeah, man, I punched him in the face so hard. I can't believe I have so much respect for him. I don't yeah. know how he go down, mm-hmm. how I didn't break something because my hand hurt so bad after punching him so square. 
and uh, so you, you got to respect that. I don't know how. I don't know how he did what he did for as long as he did it. I mean, that's just amazing. Uh, so how was it in Houston? Did you, did you sign for a couple of years? Did you sign one year and then you just kept resigning? How did that work? Uh, so we had a good first year. Um, they, uh, the, then the next year they brought, and I had a two year contract. Okay. Although I, Vegas was one year probably. Yeah. So I had a two year contract. So, um, the next year, we we were selling out on the weekends. They we had the Rockets old marketing team because the new owner of the Rockets came. So we were almost like trying to be a big league operation. So they brought a bunch of NHL guys in and, and paid them a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And so we had the highest payroll in the league, and we had the worst record in the league. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was not a fun year. Um, and that's when I would just pray every game. I'd pray during the periods that God just give me strength. And I just tried to, you know, Graham and I just tried to focus on playing the best we could play within that, that kind of toxic and environment and uh, ended up, you know, Graham and I were the, I think the only two players that got re-signed for the third year uh, with uh, uh, Pete Deneen was a GM. So uh, I guess in that sense, it, it worked out. But that, that was a rough year that second year. Well, one guy I want to ask you about, uh, NHL veteran at the time, uh, been through all the wars with uh, Quebec and then Buffalo, Winnipeg. Uh, I don't, and he's a defenseman. I don't know if you had, uh, if you played with him at all. That's Gord Donnelly. What do you remember about Gord? Yeah, I played with him all year. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, he was, uh, he was a lefty, blocked a ton of shots, made big hits. He came to play. Yeah. Um, I, you know, he, I'm not sure how much he played in the years before he got there. So mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the skill wasn't quite what it used to be, but mm-hmm. he, he, he brought it yeah. and, you know, just his reputation, he scared the crap out of guys before he even dropped the gloves. And there was a lot of fast, fast, hard punches, not, not a lot of toe to toe, but it was, he was a force. Uh, in that season, the, uh, the arrows made a coaching change. Uh, they let Terry Ruskowski go. They brought in Dave Tippett. Uh, was that a good change for you, or or uh, was it something that wasn't so good? I I, I think it was neutral for me because mm-hmm. I that Tip, uh, who was my teammate, you know, the first year and there, I think he liked me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tip brought. Actually, I'll tell you a story about Next Islander. Um, so the first thing Tip did was bring in the left wing lock. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, oh, yeah. Detroit had made this left wing lock concept, mm-hmm. which was a four, four checking scheme. Uh, famous, I think they won the Stanley Cup with it. Uh, but it yep. was very unique, where it was the uh, the left winger would basically play defense and allow the right defenseman to pinch in and just keep the puck in. And so we're so the first game was against um, the San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yep. yep, I'm telling you, Joe. They they didn't get the puck out of their zone for 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> was, I I was so Kevin Grant was the other you know he was the other right defenseman. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if Gord Kruppi, but we were just smoking their left wingers so bad. <laughs> we were just <laughs> pinching and hitting, pinching and just free for all. Mm-hmm. And we thought it was great. And so Dave Maley, who I think played for the Islanders, he right? did. He got, yes, he got sir. So mad, he picked up the puck 
and he, I could tell what he was going to do. And he took a huge, he would pick out the puck. It was like at the top of his face off circles. And I was on the point and he took a slap shot right at me. <laughs> <laughs> Did he hit you? <laughs> no, he just missed me. It was a hard slapper. He was trying to hurt me. He was so mad. So, uh, <laughs> so I knew I was in his head and I think I sucked him into a penalty after that. And, uh, we never ended up fighting, but uh, that was just hilarious. And I, I don't know why, but Tip kind of backed off of it. I think the left wingers were complaining, and so we did kind of did a modified version of it, and it was never as good as it was that first period. Uh, so actually we ended up speaking about a few of the guys that you fought this season already. One guy we didn't, I don't know if you remember, uh, remember the fight or not. I don't think it's on video, but again, it wouldn't be the first time I was wrong. Uh, Greg Walters of Chicago. Do you remember fighting him? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, it was good toe to toe. I think he, he stung me pretty good. He, he punched me at least once or twice where I thought, you know, maybe I, maybe I better, hang on or something i don't yeah. know if i <laughs> yeah he was strong and, and tough and and my understanding was he started off as more as a skill guy and kind yep. of turned himself into that and uh you know he i don't know how high he went but he he was the real deal yeah no wally uh wally everything you heard was true he was really a finesse guy and then at some point uh you know whether it was his decision or coach's uh advice or someone's advice uh, he turned himself into a pretty pretty tough player. I'm a I'm a big fan of his, so that's a reason why I asked you about him. So uh, no, he definitely did. He's uh, he's back coaching now, and uh, he's in the OHL coaching, and uh, I guess he's doing well. I got to try to reach out to him. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's willing to do something like that, you got to mm-hmm. think there's something going on there. That guy will do anything it takes to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Just- and he- He's such a character too. He's so he was always fun to talk to. Really, really funny guy. Always, uh, always quick witted and everything. He's uh, he's pretty funny. So um, I don't know if uh, if it was anything of note, but I know you had uh, some run-ins with the Indy Ice. It was uh, Eric Lecomte, Brad Warenka, Trevor Halverson. Was that one incident rolled into something, or were those separate things? Uh, I think I got that tape too, so I I know exactly what happened. Um, yeah, LeCompte, I think, was a young guy, and he just, you know, I just beat him up pretty bad, I think. And uh, uh, Rowenka, I did not like, and he cheap-shotted, I think, one of our Russian guys, Vadim or uh, Igor Bashkatov, and uh, after him. And it was one of those situations, uh and I and I'm gonna bring it back to an Islanders guy, mm-hmm. where he's not a tough guy, but he smacked me pretty good. And I think, you know, he punched me, hurt me, and then threw me down. So I didn't even have a chance, right? <laughs> so, huh. Like oh, I don't know if I like this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the other guy that did that, and we skipped over it uh, when I was in Providence. Uh, Joe Day was uh, playing for um, Springfield, yeah, right, mm-hmm. and. You know he is a good-looking guy, and oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know the t- you know if you want to have a caricature of the the what do they call it, the pretty boy college kid or whatever, because yep. <laughs> he had come from college, and I knew it because I'm looking at the stats, and I and he was kind of feisty, so I'm gonna teach this kid a lesson, right? And and he just let's just say it was a tie. <laughs> <laughs> and I was actually going to ask you about him because then he, he ended up, I think he was with Salt Lake the week and a half you were there. 
but I wasn't sure if you remembered that one. And and for you know, for you and I, we know Joe Day. He can mix it up a little bit. I don't know how how, how much uh, other other people really know. Casual fans know, but I I did. I was going to ask you about that because you became his teammate. But then I said, oh, I don't know if he's going to remember. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, I have a ton. Of, I don't understand. That's the kind of guy you know. He can play. Mm-hmm. He's he's fast. He can. Oh, how come he doesn't? How 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 does a guy like that not have a good NHL career? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Clearly, he's a character guy. There's no off-ice issues. Uh, so that's, it's one of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other guy that I was going to ask you about, and I don't probably don't have time, but like Sean LeBron, he was second-rounder of the Islanders, and he uh, he has NHL written all over him. You know, he led, like I said, he was our, one of our top scorers and led our team in hits, and then mm-hmm. he goes to Butchie's team. <laughs> I don't know what Butchie did to him. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I honestly don't know. I mean, that might be a better question if you talk to Hazy because he was there during that time. I honestly don't know. There were a lot of guys in that era where I thought they'd see time and see time up here, and they didn't. And, you know, I didn't get to a lot of games back then, but, you know, in Capital District. But every time I went, you know, LeBron, he's always in the middle of things. And, and the, you know, you always knew he was there. It wasn't even like – you're driving home going off. Oh, I didn't even notice, notice LeBron tonight. So there were a lot of guys back then that I thought would at least get a sniff and they didn't. And LeBron was one of them. I, I honestly couldn't tell you, uh, you know, I guess he might be able to tell you better maybe because he might say, well, I could have done this or I could have done that. But from a fan's point of view, um, I, if, when, if I would have read he was called up and got significant games, I would not have been surprised. I honestly, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, if a coach doesn't like you or or the brass doesn't really think you got it, then, then you just get buried. I don't know. But uh, if he would have made it up here and played some games, I would not have been surprised at all. Yeah, no, he would have been a good one. You know, and, and maybe it was an injury. We just yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah, you never know. The coaches, they have their favorites. and And again, I don't know. I don't know how Butch felt about him. I have, I have, I would think he. I mean, he played a lot down in CDI, so, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I'm assuming he liked him, but you know, you never like you say a lot of it's timing. You talk about you're going to get called up and you end up breaking your finger. So I mean, a lot of it is is timing also and luck. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you returned for your third year in Houston, like you said. I think uh, you and uh, you and Graham were one of the few guys that they uh, they kept over. And uh, one of the guys I want to ask you about that uh, was now a member of the team was Dave Marset. Yeah, Moose. Uh, I got to, got to be good friends with Moose mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, real funny guy. He ended up being a TV personality. In yes. the Didn't mm-hmm. surprise me one bit. Um, yeah, he, he, he obviously, he would fight all the big guys. How many times did he fight Dino? Uh, a few times. And then in one fight, he got scolded by him. It looks yeah, like if yeah. you watch the video, it looks like Dean is scolding him. Yeah, because he jumped him. Yeah, yep. I, I didn't mm. like that very much. I remember when it happened, they going, "Yeah, you know, you don't need to do that." Right. No, I didn't say that to him. Right. It, right. Doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't do anything for me anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think just maybe uh, timing. Where yeah. he he, I don't know. It didn't it didn't quite work out here. Uh, what about Alan May? Yeah, I don't think he was the the animal that he was when he was playing for the Caps, but he man, he came to play. Uh, 
he uh i don't know i think he had a bunch of fights he was doing it um he certainly guy you could you could put on the ice um good role model you know squared away off the ice uh so got a lot of a lot of uh good memories of uh, of how he handled it here uh, i say here because i'm in i'm in houston <laughs> so, uh, I, I, so i keep saying here I assume you like the city. You stayed there. You made it your home. Yeah, yeah. yeah true, man. I love Texas. I'm sure grateful to be in Texas from uh, for the liberty that we have in this uh, this clown show world we're living in. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not a bad place to be right now. Um, sure. You mentioned it to me. I didn't know this, but uh, I don't think the fight materialized, but you almost ended up fighting uh, Mick Vakoda. Uh, with, uh, Mick was with the Grizzlies. So uh, what? Uh, what's the story there? Yeah, I think so. I told you that. I don't even know if Mick Lakota knows who I am, but uh, when I got, you know, when I made the newest Mr. Bruins, uh, Darwin, I sure it was Darwin was telling me about all the fights, and and then he was telling me about this Mick Lakota guy, and I think I had gone to maybe a game. You know, he was like kind of a legend in the Western League, mm-hmm. but Darwin was telling me how the how Lakota would grab guys by the pants and slam their head into the ice. Mm-hmm. And how they, he had hurt a lot of guys, and I don't know if he—I don't remember if he had hurt Darwin, uh, but I remember it was getting kind of personal and it was dangerous. And I remember thinking, man, that, if that guy ever tried that to me, I would, you know, yeah—I'm not gonna let that happen to me, you know. So I, and then, so I remember that part of it, right? So Lakota had already gone on to pro, and then he made a name for himself, and then uh, Spinner, Greg Spinner, has came back from uh, summer one year and i guess mick had grabbed him in a bar and punched him in the face <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know if mick was bouncing i don't remember the whole story i just remember thinking you punched my best friends in the face you're gonna pay you know <laughs> spenner didn't seem as upset as i was about it i guess he maybe uh figured he deserved it after having too many cocktails or whatever <laughs> so anyway uh here it is. I'm playing against this guy that I've been hearing about since I was a kid, you know, and I'm thinking, Oh, I'm going to get, I've got a plan. If I've got a plan, I'm going to, first of all, he's their tough guy and I'm supposed to be one of our guys and I am not going to let this guy do this to me. So my plan was to take a huge swing at him. And I, that's something I did with a lot of big guys. Mm-hmm. I would just take a huge swing just, and most time you don't hit them, but just the, the feeling of that air, air rushing past your face, you know, that, you know, it's trying to hurt me. It's an intimidation tactic. Um, just the, just the fact that you're swinging that hard at a guy. So I was going to do that. And then I was just immediately going to grab his pants and slam him and try to smash his head. So I had this whole plan in my head, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm kind of working myself up, just like uh, I told you the story about um, Jim McKenzie and how shaky, you know, when you know you got to fight, uh, you're shaking. So I was ready. Right. I'm going to do this before something else happens and I don't get a chance. So, you know, I cross-check him in front of the net and I try to get it going. And he he just swears at me and skates away. And I'm like, okay, well... I don't know if I should keep trying this. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I could go up to him and I think it was by their boards and he just put his stick right in my face. And I says, I'm going to spear your effing eyes out. <laughs> so I thought, okay. I, to me, that's a win, right? 
I'm uh, my my teammates saw that I stood up to their guy. Um, he doesn't want to fight, so that's good. So I'm probably not going to have to deal with this. And uh, I want that's the end end of that. I don't even know if he even knows who I am or whatever. But I knew who he, who he was. Well, there you go. And you're trying to avenge uh, avenge for uh, the Viking there. So uh, yeah, exactly. Well, those two guys in a bar would be interesting. I'll be honest with you. So. You know. <laughs> Uh, so you find your way out of uh, of Houston. You came back that year, and uh, you end up getting traded to Kansas City. How did that come about? Uh, so we had we were basically going with five defense most of the year in Houston, and we had a pretty good team. Uh, we were very good defensively, and I was part of one of the five. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just weren't we weren't scoring, so um, I wasn't fighting and. Uh, Sasha Lakovic caused some ruckus. I think he was with Vegas mm-hmm. uh, right at the end of a game in in Houston. And it was, it wasn't really, it wasn't something where it had, I had to take vengeance, but he was kind of like playing the role, if you will, or making us, I don't know, like challenging us. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking over at our bench cause I'm there on the ice. So I'm in front of him and I don't know if I'm holding him or I'm going to. And I look over and I remember Al Conroy, who's our captain, says, no, 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 Jakes, no. And uh, it was almost like some other guy said no. So so I didn't fight him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we, we're, we're, the game's over and I'm in the training room and Pete Deneen, our GM, comes up and says, why, you know, why didn't you fight him? Like he's mad at me mm-hmm. for not fighting Sasha Lakovic. Right. And I thought, ooh, yeah, that's that's not good. I, I don't know if I tried to say, well, I'll tell that to or something. Right, right. <laughs> but I don't think Tip wanted me to either because that right. just it it was it wasn't going to help us. But mm-hmm. Pete saw it differently, uh, so I, I kind of chalked up. So I I don't know if I ended up trying to make up with that. But then I had a conflict a week or two later with just we had some bad dynamics with forwards shouting at the defenseman. And, I don't want to get into it. I don't know how to get into it without kind of saying something bad about yeah. someone. Uh, it, was, it was a power play, and I was the one that got uh, shipped out. Okay. And then I, the, the, the lesson or the funny thing was um, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's I'm, I'm one of five defensemen, and we're doing good, and, and the coach loves me, and uh, I, I think it's time for them to – I think Pete. I think it's time for Pete to give me a new three-year deal, probably in a hundred thousand, hundred and ten a year, or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself that all you know around that time, and then so my wife says, uh, Pete called. He wants you to call him back, you know, because we didn't have cell phones. And I, I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, Pete. Now Pete finally saw the light, right? He's, Pete's going to offer me a deal. <laughs> Steve, you're traded. <laughs> Different kind of deal. Yeah, there you go. So I think the lesson there is I was a little too uh, big for my britches. Well, I mean, listen, you, had, you had done it for a few years there, and there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, dreaming big like that, you know, but uh, sometimes people have different uh, different perspectives. So, uh, yeah. you know, when you did get traded, though, and uh, you are still the uh, all, the IHL anyway version of the Houston Arrows, the all-time leader in penalty minutes, for the team. I don't know if you're aware of that. You got 634 and 195 games. Yeah. Well, that was, they were tailing off as my career went on. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I lost it. I don't feel like I lost it. Uh, 
but maybe I wasn't. I I, I took less stupid penalties. So uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, you're, you you don't explain yourself. You got the most penalty minutes in the history of the team. There's no reason <laughs> to explain your. You don't have to explain why you didn't do something. You did it enough to lead the team, the history of the team in the IHL for uh, for Houston. So you don't have to explain anything. Well, they you must know. have ran through a lot of guys, and nobody stayed there very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's not, you know, 634 and 195 is nothing to sneeze at. So, yeah. Thanks. So you go to Kansas City. You got some familiar faces there, Jim Kite, Darren Kimball. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we mentioned Dino that you had fought a few times. Uh, how'd you like playing for them? That uh, Well, they, uh, that would be the second half of that year. Oh, it was it – was... Yeah, all those guys. I reunited with Jimmy Kite. You know, mm-hmm. he was my departer and my roommate on the road in Vegas all year, and now I'm reunited. And same thing. He's my departer and my roommate on the road. So uh, they put us uh, at, at that time. I wasn't drinking or going out, so they would always put me with the the boring guys. You know, so Jimmy and I were <laughs> uh, the uh, fit fit each other well. Um, you know, one thing I noticed. Uh, was uh, it was just a lot more open game that mm. tip had instituted. And I think it was somewhat, maybe there was seemed like so much more skill, at least on the forwards part in KC. So it was much more freewheeling. Um, I would look up and, the, and my winger would be where he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I was a little disorienting because in, in Houston, it was more like a pro style. It was, we were very disciplined. Everyone knew where they were going to be. And there it was just like, find your guy and he'll go with it, go yeah. for it, you know? And, uh, so it was more fun that way. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think that I did really well. Uh, my plus minus was through the roof the time I was there, and uh, they they signed me again for the next year. Yeah, you're looking right now, plus 20 in 28 games. That's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not too bad. You had 10 points in 28 games. That's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I remember Claudio Scrimmon. Uh, was a little jealous, I want to say, because um, it, it was like everything was going right for me and everything was going wrong for him. And he was the other <laughs> defenseman. He had been the man there for years. And uh, the next year, I don't know if you look at the stats, I think the next year that we played a full season together, he was, he, I think he led the team in plus minus. So it, it was just an anomaly at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. The next season, uh, he was probably jealous again because he was uh, one plus behind Jason Cerrone. So Cerrone led the team, not him. Oh, yeah. Well, man, Jason Cerrone, him and Pat Fischweiler, they were I, – I played with a couple guys in junior. I want to mention their names, uh, uh, Steve Rennie and Calvin Nibbs. And Calvin just died last week. Uh, God rest his soul. Oh, wow. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, you know, it just – want to mention him but the two best penalty killers in junior hockey we we had the best power play in junior that year and the best penalty killing yet we were only a 500 team so that that's that's kind of a weird dynamic but but jason cerrone and pat Fershweiler were the same they just were so smart when it came to killing a penalty they they didn't block shots really they didn't do anything dramatic they just knew where the passing lanes were, they knew how to intercept passes. They knew the danger zones, and and they, they were just awesome. And Jason Cerrone, uh, you know, he could have been a big NHLer for a long time. I don't I don't know what the story is, but uh, great great hockey player. He sacrificed offense to mm-hmm. play that role. It was almost like like they saved him for the defensive roles. You know, playing against the other team's best players, playing against uh, playing on the penalty kill, and he just did a phenomenal job with that. Well, how'd you like playing for Don Jackson? 
I did. I mean, it was only for that that short time. Um, I, you know, watching the Oilers, he was a big, you know, big part of that those Stanley Cups. So I had I had tremendous respect for him there. Uh, you know, when I was there, it was kind of near the end of the season. Uh, he just let us play. So uh, we go on to your your final season. Your only full season with Kansas City. Uh, did you ever make the mistake uh, of skating in front of a Sean Hines slap shot? No, uh, that would be a, a fatal mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I played with a guy in Providence, Dominic Lavoie, mm-hmm. who had the hardest shot in the, probably the world. Um, I know, Al, you know, kind of like that Al McInnes. I don't know what the MP, MPHs are, but I think Sean was right up there. Um, I think and for a while, Sean had the record for the hardest shot in pro hockey. It was uh, around 106, I think. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. He scored like over 20 goals that year, just overpowering goalies with that shot. It was incredible. And he was so, he, that for, actually he got called up that my, my, the year before when I was just there, he was there for a couple games and I didn't think much of him. I was like, you know, it looked like a typical East coast leaguer to me. Yeah. Uh, he came to camp that next year. I don't know if I just didn't see it, but he was so powerful skating and then he would hit and fight and just, he was an animal that year. Yeah, I know Dean loved him. I, almost like he took Heinz uh, under his wing. He always say, you know, this kid's going to be something. He shoots the puck like crazy. He's tough. He can play. So I wasn't surprised when uh, when he ended up in the NHL. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, this is, I think, like I said, I think he broke the records. I think he was at 106.1 or something like that. And uh, that was with a wood stick. Like, guys shoot the puck now with these – Three hundred, four hundred dollar sticks. I think it was Heinz was with the. Geez, what did he use? The old Bauer Supremes, I think. I think he was shooting the puck at one hundred six. So it's not too bad. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What do they do now? What do they get up to now? I don't even know because the only hockey I can really watch is the Islanders. And the funny thing is, it seems like with these new sticks, the the really expensive ones, they constantly break. They break in the middle of the shaft. It's just crazy. Oh yeah. You know. Well, he got a nice contract. He got a very good signing bonus, and I think a three-year deal from uh, from uh, Doug Wilson of the, yeah. the GM of the San, uh, San Jose Sharks. So it, it paid off for him. Yeah, and you also ended up playing with a guy that uh, you battled uh, at least once, maybe twice, uh, but uh, in junior, definitely with Seattle. You're finally on the same team with Brent Bilodeau. Yeah, and that's and I I hope I don't sound like a broken record, but nope. that that's an NHL hockey player. Yep. I mean, he was the most talk about penalty killing with Cerrone, Fershweiler, and him. I don't know how anybody ever scored against us. Yeah. He, he used that big stick. He was tough. I don't know if about fighting. I mean, he'd fight, but he he would just crush guys and very effective. Could skate. I don't understand. They were they were kind of down on him there, and I, yeah. I didn't get him. Yeah, I thought he was great, mm-hmm. and he, he, he and I were kind of competing for ice time a little mm-hmm. bit. But I, I, you know, I thought he got a raw deal a little bit. Well, I think a lot of guys, you know, you wonder what happened, you know, and and it seemed like Montreal had a few of those guys back then in that that era where they would draft guys high and, you know never worked out and you always wondered why you know but uh you know like we say it could be any number of things you know coaches or gms or timing or injuries but you know i mean he still he had a nice pro career but i agree with you he definitely could have been a regular in the nhl mm-hmm. yeah how did uh how did you like playing for um, paul mclean he took over for don jackson yeah 
he left me alone. I, I think I ended up on a, a sour note. Uh, we had the, there was an incident in uh, Houston with uh, a kid named uh, Sloan that I. Yep, Blake I, Sloan. Mm-hmm. Blake Sloan. I I I punched him out, and uh, it was I, I got suspended um, for it, and I felt like I did the right thing because I was protecting. It was at the end of a game. Sloan ran uh, Dale Craigwell, one of our skill guys. You know, the game was out of hand. Mm-hmm. It was the last minute. He ran Craigwell kind of from behind, actually, right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so I challenged him to do a fight. He wouldn't fight. And then as soon as the linesman got in, he turned around and started yapping at me. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, he came from college, so I guess he didn't realize what could happen to him. But I you wiggled know, <laughs> my arm out and and just, you know, plowed him in the face and he caught him with blood everywhere. He went down like a sack of potatoes and caused a big scene. Anyway, I got suspended. And, and Paul felt like I was just doing it out of a uh, petty revenge or something, you know, that I didn't control myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, no, I said, that's why you've got guys like me around mm-hmm. is for exactly these kinds of situations. And, you know, I never, I, I've heard that he's a good coach, but I never really saw him do much. I thought he let us play and mm-hmm. didn't say much. Uh, I really liked uh, uh, Lucien Deblois. He was the assistant mm-hmm. coach. He was a really, you know, good guy to be around, and he had been through the wars. So I know I don't Paul had too. So I, I don't want to. No. Back him, but that was just my experience, and they didn't resign me. Yeah. He said in the in the in the post. Uh, I I kind of well he sat me right before the playoffs or one playoff game. And I was going to war. I mean, I was really battling. Uh, we played against Long Beach and I was, I was vicious and I was playing well. And, you know, by that time in my career, I knew whether I was playing well or not. And I was doing it. And, you know, we had our, or we got beat out and we had our postseason meeting. He just said, man, I don't have a problem with you. I don't have a problem with you. I said, okay. Anything more you can say? No, I don't have a problem with you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so, they didn't offer me, uh, you know, another contract. I was 28. I could have gone to Europe like most of the guys. That was about the time to go to Europe because these mm-hmm. teams don't want to pay older guys less money. It just doesn't usually work out, so they don't even offer you less money if they don't think you're worth what you're making. So you, you kind of got to hang them up or, or, or go to Europe. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because you did retire relatively young. So, uh, so was it, was there no interest in going to Europe? Uh, you just wanted to, you know, maybe you got everything out of your career that you had. What was the mindset there? And I believe, and were you married at the time? And and uh, did did uh, was that the kind of thing? Also, I know a lot of times players retire there, you know, because the wives are good. They follow them around from city to city, and uh, maybe it's time for the wife to maybe set down roots somewhere. Yes, that, that's definitely a factor, and I'm not going to blame her. Um, be, that, that was just one factor, and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that she didn't want to, but I kind of knew that that wasn't going to be good mm-hmm. for us. Uh, and I think I picked the wrong agent. Uh, my agent didn't deal in Europe, and mm-hmm. I picked a guy that I don't think I don't think was the right guy. Uh, and then the probably the biggest factor was that. Because, you know, I was told you Kevin McDonald had uh, always encouraged me to work. Mm-hmm. 
I was working for an oil and gas company here in Houston in the summers, and they offered me the full-time position, which was a position far beyond what I was entitled to have because I didn't have a college education. Mm-hmm. So it was a great opportunity to transition into the real world. And uh, I just prayed about it for about a month, got some counsel, and I was in the shower one day, and it was crystal clear that it was it was time to start something new. Now, is this the same company that you work for now? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Hart, uh, he was the original owner of the Arrows, so I asked him for a job in the summer. I worked for the team, and then I, next summer I asked to do something in the oil and gas company. Uh, you know, kind of a long story, but uh, I still work for him. Uh, um, you know, we've had several companies. Uh, he's, I, he's brought me into partner. Uh, we've had a lot of success. Um, it was definitely the right decision. I love the experiences that that, that level of hockey gave. Um, I wouldn't try. I, gave, I got out pretty physically intact. My neck's a little messed up, but if I take care of it, uh, I can keep it at bay. But the lessons I learned about, you know, about discipline and, and how to be a team, how to win, how to lose, uh, you know, saw, saw a lot of the North America, met a lot of great people, learned a lot. I wish I had that for anything. It was it was a great life experience, and I think I got out at the right time at 20, at 28 years old. And, you know, when you get out at 34, 35, I, I think it's a, it's a lot harder to, to make something new. I, I just I think I got out just in, just in time to start something fresh but, but be young enough where people would still give me a chance to reinvent myself. Yeah, so you've been with this company, it looks like, what, 22, 23 years now? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I do, great. It, it, a lot of data stuff, like you yeah. know, call it analytics nowadays, I guess, kind of a, a marketing term a little bit, but a lot of data management, data analytics, pretty much anything has to do with the IT information systems is what I'm in, you know, is my area of responsibility. Oh, that's awesome. That's, uh, well, I'm glad you got out then. I mean, uh, obviously at the time, I don't think I wanted you to retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime the uh, tough player retires, I think, uh, you know, it's tough because a lot of times it seems like you get replaced by a European or something like that. But, uh, you know, I'm happy that uh, things worked out well for you. And like I say, obviously you like the, the city, you ended up in Houston and you stayed there. So it uh, seems like uh, things are do, are going pretty well for you. You know, well, life life has has its ups and downs, right? Everyone's got ups and downs. I've, I think I've painted a, a pretty picture, but there's always a, sure, absolutely. There's always struggles in life. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that that's one thing I think you're helping guys reconnect to each other, to their past. So see pattern. We, we tell stories because we like to see patterns in life and learn from them. And, and like Mick, I listened to Mick Picotta's, uh sessions with you. And that's what he said. He said, he, it was kind of sad almost. He said, I'll probably never talk about this again. Mm. And uh, you've, you've brought us together and I, I thank you for that. And uh, just in preparation for talking with you, I, I got to, revisit these old patterns and, you know, try to learn from them, try to learn from the good and the bad that happens to make you a better person. Cause you know, I've got kids and I really hope to have grandkids someday and I want to impart wisdom to them. And uh, you, you not, I'm not overstating you. You're playing a part in that. And, I, and thank you for that. Well, I, I don't know how to answer that really. I, I mean, a thank you. Thank you for that. It's uh, I would say it's very humbling, but uh, I mean, really, the opportunity to 
you know, do a show like this and talk to players that uh, I was a fan of and that I admire, uh, you know, it's a real treat for me. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the feedback that, that you guys give me is, is phenomenal. And it really, you know, there are times where it's, it's a bit of a chore to do the show, not, not the actual interviews, but, you know, trying to get guys to commit and everything. And I get it. Everyone has, uh, everyone has stuff going on and I've had, you know, it's almost like, uh, if you can't do it, you can't do it. I respect that. But there, that at times it does get frustrating to nail guys down. And there are times you think about, well, maybe I don't need to do this anymore, but you know, just, uh, it, it seems like every interview that I do now, someone says something like you just said, and it just, it just keeps me going. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that you guys give me the time, but then it's sort of, like I, I said, humbling that, uh, that you would, that you would listen to the other shows and it helps you get your story out there and, and, you know, maybe reconnect with some of your other teammates. So, so that's just mind blowing to me. So I, I really appreciate you saying that. Well, let me pump your tires a little more then. <laughs> what, what you did on that train is, is awesome. That I'm, it's awesome that you told your story and you're continuing to tell your story because we need more men like you. We need more. We got a bunch of girly men running this country and <laughs> we got two, we, we are, we need to get back to sticking up for each other for taking on some risk in life and making this country a better place and, and making the world a better place. And, and you did your part and uh, keep up the good fight. I understand you just, you want justice. You may not get it in that way, but, uh, but, uh, but you did your part and you're continuing to, and, uh, keep up the good work. Uh, well, now, now I really don't know what to say. Uh, you know, again, I, that, and you know, my wife's sitting here, she's listening to us and everything. And she's heard me say this a million times when, when someone says something like that to me, uh, I never know what to say, you know, because I kind of feel like I was just put in a position that day and I, and I had to do what I had to do. Um, and I, I've heard so many nice things from so many people, but, uh, you know, it, it never gets old, but it, it's always a little weird because I don't, it's, I said humbling before this, that's always humbling too. I never really know, know how to answer that, but without, you know, just saying thank you, because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not about to, I don't like to pump my own tires, you know, so it's always weird for me, but, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to say that, especially, uh, you know, with, uh, with how you made your living and, uh, you definitely know toughness and, you know, hard work and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I appreciate you saying that. And, uh, I, you know, again, I get kind of embarrassed when people bring that up, but, uh, Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I'm still fighting. I'm still trying to get the word out there. And, uh, you know, you never know. Every time you think something is over, you never know. Maybe, uh, maybe luck will fall my way and, uh, something will happen. I can get the word out there to a larger audience. I don't know, but, uh, but thank you for that. Well, you know, we never know how we're going to react in, in those situations. And, and you rose to the challenge. You, yeah, you got to feel good about that. Unfortunately, you had to take some massive scars to, to get that feeling. But, uh, you know, they're, they're cops. They're on a team just like we're on a team. And those people that are on their team know the deal. They know that they didn't rise to the challenge, that they acted cowardly. And they pay the price just for that, just not being able to walk with their heads high. And so in that way, you know, it, you got to feel bad for them that they live a life like that. 
Well, the ironic thing is, uh, well, first of all, yeah, I mean, I, I have uh, I have a lot of support from from the poli- you know individual police officers. I mean, I I can't tell you how many police officers have uh, come up to me and you know basically say I could never say this publicly, but you know what you did was you know whatever adjective they want to use there or you know just their support saying you know just even back then it was i i hope you go to court because these guys you know those cops made us look bad they stain on the department and everything and uh mm-hmm. my sister was a was a nypd officer at the time and she would tell me all the time that you know mo- i was worried to be honest uh how she was going to get treated especially when I, when I uh, brought up the lawsuit and she didn't care. She's like, you got to do what you got to do. And and you're right here. And really the majority of the people basically said to her, look, if that's really what happened, then, you know, go for it. And the, the whole common theme was they're making us look bad. They're making the department look bad. They're making us as individuals look bad. And uh, the funny thing you said is, uh, one of the cops, at least, uh, he's living a lie because uh, I, he honestly believes that he did something. Whether he believes it in his heart or not, I don't know. But uh, I've heard from multiple people that uh, he definitely plays the role. And um, and that's okay if that's what he has to do to sleep at night. But, uh, you know, I think everybody knows the truth. And again, I'm not not trying to pump my tires. I'm just telling the truth. There, There's something that happened that day on the train. And... Um, you know, one of us did something and one of us didn't. So uh, whatever he needs to tell himself to have him sleep at night is fine with me. Yep. Yep. You just take care of your business. Yep. So, uh, so Steve, you know, we talk here, we're, uh, we're almost, we're a little shy of four hours and uh, thank you again for this uh, crazy amount of time. This was a real, real treat for me. I'm really grateful that you gave me all this time. I feel bad that in a, hour or so you're going to watch uh the astros lose to the braves of course uh, i don't like baseball as much as i used to but the braves are always my team so we're on opposite sides here but uh before we get to that uh with everything we discussed is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to talk about be it a story be it a teammate or anything like that anything that i may have missed Oh man, no! I think the four hours is a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good run. There's, there's all you know, lots of stories, and and you know, we, I, I just love doing it, man. I would do it uh, anywhere, anytime. Um, I really would love to reconnect with. I'm not very good at reconnecting with my old teammates, uh, but it's just uh, this is a way to do that and uh, say hi to all my, all my old teammates for me if you get a chance and. Um, yeah, the thing about the I'm I'm actually have a soft spot in my heart for the Braves because of what they did to them in the All Star game. I think that mm-hmm. it's sweet revenge that they're they're in the World Series now. I can't go as far as to say that I want the them to beat the Astros, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. But but that is an excellent point about how they screwed the city by taking the All Star game away from them. So that is an excellent point. So. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we could be on different teams, uh, you know, on different sides on this one because uh, we're pretty much on the same side for everything. Exactly, exactly. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot. But wait, there's more, folks. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. So me and Steve, we were talking afterwards, and uh, Steve thought of a few other stories 
that uh, he thought would be interesting, and I agreed. I, I liked them. So um, instead of me going back and splicing these into different parts of the interview and, and piecing it out that way, uh, we're just going to do uh, like random quick shots here. Uh, we're going to talk about the story. So they're, they'll be out of order from the from the main part of the interview, but I, I think these stories are fantastic. So I just wanted to get it in there, and uh, and we'll talk about that. So Steve, the first one that we discussed is uh, I want you to tell the folks about an incident that you had with uh, Gary Moskaluk. Oh, yeah, that was in uh, in New West my first year. We were, uh, I think we were on like a two-game losing streak or something like that. Things weren't going well, and we were losing to Victoria, and I think it was the second period. And I don't know. You know how you, I heard stories about how, you know, you could run the goalie and get the team stirred up and all that, and I had I wasn't playing well. The team wasn't playing well. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, you know. And so I, so I go, I think it was Peter Fry. I don't know. But anyways, I second period, we're down by a goal or two. And I run the goalie. And a uh, guy named Gary Moskaluk, I call him a, a big lumberjack. He was just massive and super strong. He was a 20-year-old at the time. And he jumps. He's a defenseman. And he played for the Bruins a couple of years before that. So, So, you know, he comes from that that mentality and uh, he jumped somehow he got on my back he knocks me down he gets on my back and he punches me in the back of the head and i'm face first laying on the ice with him kneeling on my back and he just smokes me in the back of the head and knocks my helmet off oh jeez! and i'm he i can't move and i go oh my god i'm dead and I, I, all I could see was my helmet laying on the ice in front of me. And I, I reached up and grabbed my helmet and pushed it back onto my head just in time for the second shot to come down and help smoke me in the head. <laughs> I'm telling you, if I hadn't pushed my helmet back on my head, I don't think we'd be talking today. Uh, but, uh, you know, somehow I wiggled out of that and survived. And so he ends up with a two a five and a game. And all I got was two minutes for running the goalie. We score on the power play. Uh, I think I scored one of the goals too. We end up winning the game. And so you can imagine what uh, coach Van Horlick thought of me after that. He just, you know, I could do no wrong after that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was early on in the season. And, uh, and that was, uh, I, it could have went very, very badly for me, but it ended up, ended up being, uh, being very good. Uh, one thing that I, I neglected to ask you uh, when you brought up uh, Coach Van Horlick earlier is that is he uh, I I am familiar with Quentin Van Horlick and Matt Van Horlick is he their father is there a relation there that you know of Yes yeah okay. he's their father and they okay. were little I, they were little guys uh, coming to the rink and you know cute kids that uh, they they definitely grew up in in his mold he came he played in the old WH what was it? Western professional league. And I think he may have played a little bit in the WHA, but he was, a, he was a tough defenseman. And, uh, you know, they grew up, they grew up the same way playing mm -hmm. both played pro hockey. Yeah. One of the things that you told me about, uh, Van Horlick was, uh, he was, he kind of liked you to play your cards close to the vest in terms of, uh, trash talking. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. He, I think he saw me talking to somebody, and I, I don't know, I thought maybe trash talking was something you should do if you want to be a tough guy, and I wasn't very good at it. And uh, he saw me talking to this guy, and, I, and, and he said, I don't, 
don't ever talk to the opposition. Never know what you're thinking. It's more intimidating if they don't know what you're thinking. And so that was like, wow, that, that's a huge relief because I'm terrible at it anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> after that, I never, I never let anyone, you know, know what I was thinking. Never talked, uh, you know. Plus, they could someone if they're good at it, they could probably sense some fear in your voice if if you had any. Um, but uh, well, one one exception to that, uh, one of the best talking uh intimidation verbal intimidations i ever experienced was uh when i was playing i think it was my last year sean hines who we we were talking about Mm -hmm. uh he was my roommate on the road and you know he was just killing guys that that year and we're playing against uh denver so i guess it was denver at the time but uh, you know they're a really good team and kip miller was was their best player uh centerman and I'm playing. I'm playing right defense. Sean's playing left defense, and the puck. I think it was an errant pass, and Miller was trying to, you know, go for a like a breakaway pass, and he missed it. So the puck ended up going into uh, Sean's corner with Miller. Miller going. He's clearly going to get to the puck first, and about 15 yards before the before Sean gets to the corner, and Miller. So Miller's probably about five yards. Sean goes, I'm going to effing kill you. <laughs> he shouts it as loud as he could. I mean, the whole rink, I'm sure, heard it. And, I'm, and Miller heard it. And Miller just whoop, turned away, turned back up and changed and left the puck in the corner. <laughs> I love it. It was like, it was awesome. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Sean, uh, Sean was, uh, he was on fire that year, and he ended up getting a good contract out of it. I remember another story with Sean. It was a uh, and D- and Dino will know who it is because I remember this guy was causing a stir, and I wish I could remember who it was, but he it's kind of almost near center ice, so no one's really around, and and and, the, and there's going to be a fight, and so it's me kind of shaking my gloves at this guy. Dino Dinoon is shaking his gloves at this guy and sean hines shaking like there's three of us like wolves standing around this guy like who are you gonna fight you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so the guy's got to choose and uh, i think he chose heinze because he was the rookie you know he didn't know right. who he was certainly wasn't choose dean you and uh and then heinze ended up tuning him up so it was a it was just kind of fun uh fun experience I think even uh, with the whole trash talk thing, I mean, we've all experienced it where, you know, you're out you're at a bar or whatever, and it's always, always the guy, the mouthpiece that you'd almost never really seem to worry about because they're, it's almost like they're trying to talk themselves into something whenever they're talking about what they're going to do or how tough they are. And it's always the quiet guy that doesn't really say anything that you have to wonder, well, wh- why isn't he doing anything or whatever? If it's a mouthpiece chirping at at the quiet guy, the quiet guy's just going to wait from the finish, and and then if shit happens, it happens. But uh, I think it's something we learn at an early age that you know at a certain point, the people that talk about it the most are the ones you have to worry about the least. Yeah, and uh, you know, kind of something that that same year happened. I, I we're playing against Kamloops and uh, Mark Recky. Uh, I. You know, I went after him. I hit him as he's coming over blue line. I kind of abused him or something. And he he gets up and he says, you wait till Baber gets back. He's going to freaking kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, you know, they at at that point, I realized, you know, they don't have any tough guys. Mm -hmm. They don't have anybody to do anything 
uh, to us. Uh, and, uh, so he, he, you know, and sure enough, babe came back and, uh, you know, he was a point of game guy, but he was the only guy that I guess would stick up for him. He ended up coming right after me and had a good fight. He cut me like over both eyes and under another. I think he had razor blades on his knuckles. I didn't have any <laughs> welts, but he had cuts. Uh, but you know, that's another time when talking probably wasn't a, a good thing to do. Cause he, he revealed, you know, the state of, uh, of the intimidation, uh, I guess, environment around our teams. Yeah. Um, Babe, you know, not necessarily known as a tough guy. I actually, I've had a few people tell me he's uh, like, he's just a specimen. He's like a bodybuilder or something like that. Did that go, was that even as early as his junior days was, do you know, was he like uh, just a shredded back then? Oh, no, I don't know. Um, Okay. I know. Yeah, I think he was very high draft pick in mm-hmm. Minnesota, and he was yep. up there at the time. And, uh, you know, really good player. I think. Uh, it, oh, sorry about that. Didn't he uh, get smoked in the head by uh, a goalie? Uh, knocked him out of the over the head. I'm not sure that I'm not aware of. I just really? know uh, his name has come up a few times, and and uh, maybe it was post career where I think he's I think he's it's Warren Babe. I think he's a bodybuilder or something. He was uh, trying to do. I don't know if he actually ever went into it, but apparently he's just a specimen. So uh, yeah, ended his career uh, really quickly. Oh okay, okay. But I don't you know talking about that uh, you know when we were talking about Paul Cruz mm-hmm. where Ken Hitchcock really didn't carry guys that he didn't carry guys that were, he, he would carry one guy basically it seemed like, and, and they always won, mm-hmm. uh, you know, always seemed to be tops in our league. So I think that was part of maybe ushering out some of the, some of the fighting and some of that, that role in, in the Western league. Uh, I don't know what happened after me and it's hard for me to have context because I only really know what, when I played in the few years before and after, but uh, that, that may have been part of what, what kind of, diminished fighting well it's possible i think in any any sport you always hear the uh, term copycat league so if uh, a team is successful in any sport other teams are going to say well why are they successful let's kind of copy that and uh, you know cam loops i mean they had a legendary run there so uh, i definitely see why people would uh, would copy that but yeah hitch never seemed to be a coach that uh, really enjoyed the enforcers and stuff like that so um even when he when he turned the pro but i could just imagine him on the bench screaming with that high-pitched squeal uh at some of the players but then he didn't have too many people to send over at times like you say uh cruz may have been the only gun for a couple of seasons but you know yeah, and they played they played he I mean he forced his players to play hard i mean it yeah. was always a battle it wasn't it, but it just the the pure enforcer role i you know i guess if he he was happy if he only had he had one Mm-hmm. Yeah, one forward. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's funny because I'm I'm now noticing. <laughs> I think this is the second or third time uh, we've talked about Paul Cruz and then Greg Spenrath sort of back to back. And uh, I didn't really we didn't discuss this yet. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to hear the story until uh, we were recording. But uh, tell me about the uh, fight in the street that had uh, something to do with Greg Spenrath. <laughs> <laughs> so Greg, Greg and I played you know, together for three years, um, which was awesome because he, he would basically take all the, anything that needed to be settled, you know, in terms of the enforcer role, he, he was 
usually going to be the one jumping over and, and you know, eager to take take that role on. I, I was I would end up being in a bunch of stuff just because I you know in the course of playing. But he he was the one to that you'd consider the classic enforcer. But uh, we're sitting there, and his I'm, my billet house was two houses down from his, and then Shane Cole, who was another super tough kid, uh, he lived right across the street from us so we there's only one house you know in between greg and i and then the house across the street was shane and but we were uh at his house one day and drinking beer which we shouldn't have been doing but uh i think he was drinking a little bit more than me he says let's he says let's go out and fight (laughs) no why that's stupid he says i'm gonna teach you a few things i was like teach me what are you gonna teach me i'll teach you you know (laughs) so he wouldn't let up Finally, I had to go outside, and uh, he, we go out on the street in between our houses, and uh, I'm like, what are we doing here? This is stupid. And he, he says, "He says you're tougher than you think you are. And I, I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I'm tougher than you, so I don't know what you're talking about. You know? <laughs> he, he comes in, he smacks, he like half punches me with a half punch in the face. and, yeah, and I, So I jab him and kind of give him a three-quarter punch back in his face. And I mean, this goes on for like, who knows you know five minutes and he's we're punching each other in the face i'm basically just trying to back him off whenever he gets close to me but you know not full punch but pretty much three quarters mm-hmm. and uh so we finally get him calmed down back in the house and whatever we go to the rink the next day and we both have black eyes and scars all over our face <laughs> <laughs> and uh well it turns out that the whole neighborhood was up watching us through their windows. They saw the whole thing. We thought we were, you know, quiet and, uh, uh it wasn't the case. Shane saw the whole thing as billets. They're all laughing their heads off at us, but <laughs> <laughs> that we never fought in practice, but we, we did that, uh, one night. And so, I don't think he taught anything. I was just going to ask you, did he teach you anything or did you teach him something? <laughs> no, we didn't teach each other anything. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> so the Milwaukee Admirals uh your rookie season in the IHL was 1990-91 and uh the Milwaukee Admirals had uh 1 2 3 4 5 6 they had nine guys with triple digits in penalty minutes now uh, you could add Brian Blatt to that he had 98 minutes Sean Clouston 93 you're talking almost double digits of penalty minutes they had guys like Antoski, Mackey, Bakovic Cam Brown, Todd Hawkins, Craig Cox, uh, young Gino Ojic, 102 penalty minutes in 17 games. Um, what what do you remember about the Milwaukee Admirals? Well, they were they were in our division, just like you know how I, I don't know how many games I want to say like 16 where we play Salt Lake 16, mm-hmm. uh, San Diego 16, Milwaukee 16. That seemed to be about the number. So we we're you know you know we were up against these guys a lot and uh craig cox i grew up you know vancouver and so i probably watched those cox probert fights 100 times i mean they were just the most incredible fights toe-to-toe right and uh, classic just how a human being can take that much punishment either one of them i have no idea but here i am playing against craig cox Mm -hmm. And uh, so 
my well, I don't know if back up, but my roommate Kevin McDonald played with Todd Hawkins, and he he did something he shouldn't have done. He warned me about Todd Hawkins, but he he did he played it up like Todd Hawkins was an absolute killer and put a bunch of fear into me. Like he, he just one punch. He is huge one punch and be careful. And so I didn't want to fight Todd Hawkins cause I thought I was going to get my head knocked off, but, <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, here I am facing Craig Cox and I don't know what I thought about, but all I could think of was haymaker cape. I just can knock him out. Cause there's no way I'm going to beat him in a fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can just knock him out. Uh, that's my only chance. And, uh, and so I did it. He came at me, and I just took the biggest swing I could, and I missed him. But I really, I, the, my fist, you know, flew by his face. I'm sure the wind or something grazed, and it, he kind of didn't, didn't. It, I know it, it felt like it shook him up, and it, and I lived through the whole thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of became a, a a method where if I felt a guy was too big or you know, just there's no way I'm going to stand in there and try to go toe to toe with not like a Ryan Vand. I'm not going to take punches in the face like Ryan Vand and Bush, right? Mm-hmm. So, what I, one of the things I would do is just take these big haymakers at these at big guys, and I'd also do it to other guys if I felt like they were standing close enough and they weren't really going to. So I don't know. Just sometimes I would do that, and I always felt like it was a it was a good way to let them know that I was trying to hurt them. And right. that was what it was really all about was intimidation. So whether I, I won in the traditional sense or not, if they knew that I was trying to hurt them, I think I felt like I was doing my job and, and that was, that was going to be uh, the intimidation that, that made it worthwhile to, to take the five minutes. And, uh, you know, maybe Mac oversold Hawkins because uh, he was very tough. I remember, uh, when I Mick Vakoda's rookie year, Hawkins had uh, some games with Vancouver. I remember that was the first time I'd ever heard of him because he fought Mick uh, in a game in Vancouver. I'd never heard of him. And Hawkins was a tough guy. He wasn't uh, Dave Brown, but uh, he could definitely hold his own too. Well, yeah, that, that's right. That's just like, you know, some guys have good fights against other guys. Some guys are at their peak and then they tail off or they get a reputation and then they stop doing it. So you never know. I mean, if, if, if you got – if you took everybody's best fight, you know, everybody would be afraid of everybody. And right. It would, so, uh, you know, there, one exception to that is probably Joey Koser. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that guy is, uh, to me, that Joey Koser is the most intimidating fighter that is, that I've ever known about. Um, and I, I actually played against him and he got sent down to San Antonio. And I, I guess I was with Kansas city or, uh, or with Houston and, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when I saw his name in the lineup. I said, "This is the guy I've been afraid of my whole life, right?" And uh, I've seen what he did to my my D partner, my roommate Jim Kite. If you ever seen that fight, it's yeah. terrifying. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so I was so afraid. I said, "I can't even, you know, I'm I can't play because I, I I can't. I'm shaking, or you know, I got I got to do something about this." So mm-hmm. he comes in front of that, and of course, I chop him and cross check him in the back and oh, I'm gonna I have to fight him because I, I I'm just disgusted with myself if I don't you know <laughs> right right mm-hmm. and uh so I go okay yeah. so I challenge him to a fight and he just swats me in the side of the head and probably almost you know it hurt just yeah. the, with his glove on he swats <laughs> to like get away you little ant you know and uh, he skates away and I went whew I survived <laughs> <laughs> 
and and it works out because Another you didn't have to yeah you didn't have to drop him but it, you know you were going to do it and the fact that he skated away you know but you made the effort and you know you could always say Kosa wanted no part of me well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far, but uh, <laughs> absolutely, Team Morale. You know, the guys, the guys on my team. I, I showed them that I quote wasn't afraid, or I was brave. I was obviously afraid, but I overcame it to a certain extent. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a win win. I mean, there was there was only probably one instance in my career that I'm, I'm ashamed of, and uh, that. And and Link Gates, who you know, I, I kind of got to be friends with in the off season because he lived lived in our hometown, and he was at peak, you know, psycho mode, and he got sent down to Kansas City. And I'm on the ice, and uh, he cross checks my D partner Mickey Vulcan right in the face. Right, you know, I don't know what he was doing up there. He must have come out of the penalty box or something, but uh, or they were playing him forward. But he was up at the point, and he cross checked my D partner right in the face, and. I saw it, and uh, I went up there, and I, I didn't know, I didn't do anything. Basically, I said, Link, what the hell are you doing? You're gonna, you know, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, and, you know, I knew he would have beat the crap out of me, but that, I don't know why I didn't do anything, but I never, I never wanted to repeat that, that feeling um, of not trying to, to do something. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that, you know, uh, and it's it's obvious that how many years later it's something that still is uh, obviously not something you live with every day, but it's still in your mind that it bothers you. So, uh, so it's interesting, and and I think the thing with that is with people that don't get the role and they don't, they, you know, a lot of people just think it's two guys going out there trying to bash each each other's heads in, but I think sometimes people don't they don't really understand the uh, psychological part of the role, the mental part of the role. Like I said, this is something that happened decades ago and and you still think about it. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think it's something that uh, when people uh, denigrate the the role, it's like you really don't have any idea what you're talking about. And I think this is a perfect example. Yeah. You know, hopefully the older you get, you can look at your failures and your successes in life and learn learn from both of them. Yeah, and that's that is for any walk of life, you know. So, uh, um, another guy, a Western League legend, uh, Kelly Chase. You said uh, you had an interesting con- now. People that that know of Kelly Chase know that he is one of the great storytellers, the great talkers, and everything. And uh, he actually, you and him had a chat one night uh, in Peoria. Uh, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, so you know, I think I told the story how we fought in junior, and mm-hmm. you know, wasn't a, a great. It was just kind of a technical fight. It was, uh, but he got. Uh, it was later on in my career. I don't know the exact year, but he got sent down to Peoria. You know, he had made a good name for himself in the NHL, and uh, I just thought, man, this is this is a great opportunity for me to. I can beat him. You know, I can. It was a good opportunity for me to fight, and I certainly thought I could beat him, and so I chop him and i'm trying to get him to fight me and he turns around he says something to the effect of you know effing leave me alone you effing goon (laughs) (laughs) i was like kelly chase just called me a goon i mean that is one of the best compliments i could ever have (laughs) exactly absolutely oh man that's fantastic yeah so uh i just it was a great compliment i mean i like it i was 
Uh, that's all I could say. I, I didn't say anything to him, but I was, it made me feel good that he, <laughs> he, uh, he thought that much of me to call me a goon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> and he absolutely had nothing to gain by fighting me. He had just been sent down, and he was actually, you know, probably, well, he was a good point-of-game guy in the minors, and he was probably just there for conditioning. Yeah, and you knew he didn't want to be there. Nobody, after you spent a certain amount of time in the NHL, you definitely didn't want to go back to the minors, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, as Islander fans of a certain age, we know uh, expectations that are sometimes put on players, uh, you know, are sometimes very unfair. And, and the case the case that I always point to is when the Islanders drafted Todd Bertuzzi and he was anointed the next Clark Gillies basically right right off the bat. It's almost an uh, uh, un, unattainable goal. And uh, you told me that someone from uh, the Regina newspaper sort of anointed you the next somebody and uh, this is uh, this is pretty lofty praise, and again, something that is basically unattainable for most human beings. But why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, so uh, so it was kind of later on in the in my rookie season in the dub. Uh, Regina Pats were coming into town, and uh, Regina Leader Post was kind of the unofficial league newspaper i mean greg drennan was the journal he was the journalist there and he he would all he'd write the best and most comprehensive stories about the western league and in the preview to uh the pats coming into to new west he said that i was uh that there was a young steve jakes was the next wendell clark <laughs> so uh that was pretty much the highlight of my career right there uh being called the next Wendell Clark uh boy you know he was quite wrong about that obviously but uh, uh that was just a funny funny story because I have you know I told you I have experience with Donnie Clark mm-hmm. what a, yep. you know coached me with a great great coach and carry you know fighting him and getting suckered by him and all that and yeah. uh and and went to Wendell so I have I have a connection to all three Excellent. And and I'm sure Greg knows there has never, there hasn't been another Wendell Clark since Wendell Clark retired. There just is, especially nowadays, there will never be another Wendell Clark. But uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, if I read that, I'd be like, oh, that's great. Oh, God, that's a pretty lofty uh, comparison there. I mean, especially, I think, I think fans, NHL fans know what Wendell Clark did in the NHL. But I, I don't, I don't think unless you were there based on the stuff that I've heard and the stuff that I've read, just, I don't think you can actually get a feel for just how dominating he was uh, in the Western league, unless you were actually there and lived it and, 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 you know, were around then because for as great a player as he was in the NHL, I think it was even that much uh, that he was that much more dominant in the Western league. Yeah. I'm I'm sure I, I only saw him in the NHL. Uh, Yeah. He had, he left a year or two before I got mm. to the dub. You know. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, oh, he's a stud. So, uh, one of the uh, one of my uh, favorite incidents, um, you know, as we alluded to, you know, with Dean Ewan, uh, and I remember, uh, you know, it, I, I was I've been very lucky that Dean and I are, are so close because uh, I would find out about all this stuff before he would send me the videos. We would talk so often and he would tell me what happened on the road and and uh stuff like that and i'll never forget the preseason game that kansas city had with peoria where dean had the incident with eric fenton and um 
you know, he basically told me what was going on in the ice that Fenton was chirping him and just, you know, they eventually had a fight where Dean gave him a world-class headbutt. But uh, for those of you who don't know, if you go back and listen to uh, my first ever episode uh, with Dean Yu, and he basically goes into detail how he ended up uh, on top of Eric Fenton in the dressing room. And what I didn't know is that Steve Jakes was right behind Dean when he went into the dressing room. So if you could tell me in your own words what you remember about that whole incident, that would be awesome. Well, yeah, I remember it a little differently because I thought that was in Kansas City. Oh, you know what? Uh, it might have It might have been. You know what's throwing me off is you guys both wore your road jerseys. You wore the red and they wore the blue. So yeah, yeah. That, that could be confusing me, which is easy to do. Yeah, so he, uh, so Fenton was, you know, this guy was just the biggest disturber and he would not fight, or at least I never saw him fight. And I asked him several times to fight myself, <laughs> but they, uh, they end up beating us and, uh, you know, some we're, we're, we're walking to the dressing room and they're, they're walking towards us. So the dressing rooms are beside each other, but we go two different ways, mm-hmm. uh, to our dressing room. So we're, we're both walking and I think we're both first, basically Fenton's first or one of the first in his line to get to his dressing room and Dino and I'm right behind Dino, um, to get to our dressing room. And there's kind of a barrier in between, but it's, it's, it's got like a tarp, but you can see through it. It wasn't mm-hmm. closed. And Fenton said something to Dino that I certainly can't repeat and, uh, just disgusting. And, Dino just starts running. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But uh, I think Fenton's either, I don't know if he had ducked into his dressing room, but Dino charged in and I'm like, I kind of start running behind him to support him, but I, and there's tons of people. So mm-hmm. I think to myself, and I saw a couple of the, the Milwaukee players, I guess one of them was Clarkie going yep. in mm-hmm. after him. So, but they kind of stopped the whole team from going. And so I thought, well, Dino can handle about three of them. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't try too hard to get in there with him. And, uh, I guess he, uh, he'd tell you the story of what he did to him, but, uh, you know, like they, they got him out of there and, uh, I was glad I didn't have to go start street fighting in the, in the other team's dressing room. But if it was up to Dino, I would have been. <laughs> yeah. And, and the cool thing with that is that, uh, I got the firsthand, uh, account obviously from Dean. I also asked Kerry Clark about it when I had him on the show and now I have your, your firsthand account. And, uh, yeah, I think Dean had mentioned that uh, this kind of stuff that, uh, Fenton was saying it was personal stuff, family stuff. And, uh, Man, you, you know, if you wanna if you wanna flip Dean Switch, talk about his family, and uh, you know that stuff does not go over well. And it know. was, it was, it was. I, I was. He's one of the few that I was gonna. I've mentioned a couple times, but I uh, we and we did play him again, and I, I was waiting for a score to be two goal difference near the end. And unfortunately it wasn't because I had a couple different plans, a couple different scenarios. I was going to get him. I mean, try to fight him. He would never fight, but right. Right. I hurt him. Yeah. Um, and if he, if I saw him in the street, I'd have a hard time with it right now. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. You know, like every, I, I think everyone accepts that, uh, 
you know, for some people, trash talking is part of the game, but you always kind of try to keep it above board. You know, you don't, there's certain things that should be off limits. And I think when, when guys continually do that, like kind of go below the belt, because there has to be some sort of respect, you know, you're all men playing the game. Uh, but I think when you, and I think people have brought it up with Sean Avery in the past, where if you're just going to constantly, you know, go where you shouldn't go verbally, eventually you're going to have to pay the piper. And I know that, uh, you know, between the on ice fight that they had and then the uh, locker room stuff, uh, you know, I'm sure Dean would still love to get his hands on him, but uh, at least he got some measure of revenge. Yeah. And I can't say that about, there's probably one or two other guys in the whole game of all the guys I played where I would, I would have a hard time if I met him on the street. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the unfortunate thing is the, with, there are laws in this country that you can't just go and exact revenge, even against people that deserve it. So, uh, I, yeah. I, I always say, I wish that, I wish that movie, the purge was a real thing. Uh, you know, once a year, it would be interesting to see the aftermath. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, and finally, I, I think there's, uh, there's one thing that you had mentioned and uh, I have spoken about this numerous times in terms of uh, the way the game used to be and the way the game is now. And uh, I know you wanted to talk about uh, the intimidation factor, uh, the difference between that today and back in your day, which it's certainly night and day, but I always love getting the perspective of uh, the former player. So please uh, talk about that. Yeah. You and I talked to, bit about it i mean i don't know much about i know the fighting is way way down and i don't really i don't follow the game enough to know why that is uh or all the re- i'm not why there's probably several reasons why that is and but the the what i do see so i i do follow um the nhl uh discipline mm-hmm. uh Twitter feed, and I can tell you that I'm. I disagree with about eighty percent of the of the calls. Mm-hmm. All I see is a bunch of guys not protecting themselves, and they're or they're actually putting themselves in vulnerable positions <laughs> so that they can draw penalties. You sound just yeah. like me. Keep going. That's <laughs> I say the same thing. You know, it's just, okay, so I was 11 years old, and uh, I got smoked into the corner from behind. Hurt my back pretty bad, or, you know, at the time. And it wasn't wasn't anything that lasted. But my coach took forever, I felt like, coming to tend to me. And he gets there, and I'm thinking in my mind, okay, finally someone can, you know, soothe my pain and help me up. (laughs) My coach... (laughs) Jerry McGilvery said, he leans down, he says, are you okay? I said, oh, I think so. He says, well, hopefully that teaches you a lesson. You never go into the corner that way. Yep. Yeah. I was like, whoa, wait a sec. I'm the victim here. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't how to say that at 11 years old, but what I'm thinking, I'm thinking, how can he be mad at me when I'm the one who got hit? Mm -hmm. And so... But over time, I realized what he was saying was that you never put yourself in a vulnerable position, and that's what I did. And, you know, that's why I was able to play for a long time. One of the reasons, as a smaller guy, is I wasn't, I wasn't uh, chickening out, but I, was, I knew how to protect myself. Mm-hmm. If I, if I, and, and what I see on the, in, the, in the NHL right now is 
tons of skill, obviously. Guys can skate and they can fly, but I see all these, let's just say a small defenseman, go back for the puck against his boards and make a double spin move or something, knowing that he's not going to get hit. And, and or knowing that if he does get hit, it's going to be a penalty. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, that to me, that's soccer, that's flopping, that's not, I just don't understand it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I understand it, I, the, the fact that you want more skill in the game, but the whole realm of intimidation has largely been taken out of the game, in my opinion. And if that's what they want, that's fine. But don't, to me, we're in between. Either take body checking out completely or take, you know, we're in between. We don't know what we want to be as a game, and I don't like it. I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you're basically echoing the sentiments that I have probably uh, – my wife wants to blow her brains out half the time when I was getting on my rants about the game today. But, uh, no, I, I mean, and it, it's 100% correct. And like I say, first of all, I think back in the day – a lot of the lessons we learned were learned the hard way. And uh, I'm not sure that that wasn't the best way because it's kind of like the whole thing. Don't touch the pot on the stove. Well, I could tell you not to touch the pot on the stove, but you may not realize just why I'm telling you that until you actually touch the pot. And then you touch the pot once you're never going to touch it again because now it's hot. And I think, I think there's something to be said for learning things the hard way. And uh, it just seems like now, and I think you said it perfectly, guys are putting themselves in a position to, to they want to draw the penalty, and then the hits are all blown up, and now there's social media. Uh, there are so many different channels, and all of a sudden, oh, look at this dirty hit, look at this dirty hit. And you just you didn't see stuff like that back in the day because guys didn't put themselves in that position, like you said. And, um, you well, know, I mean, I, you, it, you did, I, but. And, and I understand, like, if they ever come out with a CT test for living people, there will be no, there'll be no more uh, contact sports, right? Mm-hmm. So I understand trying to do some things to prevent concussions, but we're way overboard. You, you, when you go to hit somebody, that last three yards, you have no control over what that guy does with his body. Right. You're going to hit him. And if he... If he puts his head down and you hit him, it cannot, it can't be your fault right. or else we can't hit. If I was a coach, I just say nobody hits anymore. Can't afford to take the penalties. And, and yeah. And, and what happens in a situation like that is real time. There's nothing that can be done. You have, you have these world-class athletes skating at this, these tremendous speeds. And like you said, that last three yards, that's it. It's already happening. Whatever's going to happen is already happening. But, and it's funny because you see these people on social media who may otherwise be somewhat intelligent, but they take the freeze frame and they go frame by frame by frame and they go, oh, he could have stopped it. And you go, no, dummy, there's no chance he could have stopped it because life isn't played in freeze frames. The game's not played in freeze frames. It's already done. There's nothing you can do about it. But yet I think people to further their agenda against physical play will say, oh, look, he could have got out of the way. And it's just it's just not happening. I just don't think people want to understand just how fast the game is. And especially now, there's there's no more red line. There, there's no nothing. It, it, it is definitely something. You're going to see more of it. And 
But, you know, I think the, and it's funny because, you know, over the last how many years, victim blaming is a term that's in society now. And everyone goes, oh, you're blaming the victim. And I go, well, to a certain extent, I am, because there are definitely ways to position yourself where the hit won't be as bad as it was. And they used to teach you those things. And, you know, I just think now. That's just too black and white of a statement to say we're victim blaming. That That's not it. That's right. it's it's uh, you know i mean the the uh, the new age hockey fan is some something and some i someone i will never understand i am very happy that i got to see the game played the right way i am uh, it i say it all the time if i grew up with the hockey that's played now i don't think i would be a fan yeah and if there are then and they're making money then i guess that's why they're doing it but, yeah uh, i'm not one of them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, money is, uh, you know, that makes the world go around. So, uh, yeah, no, but you and I are in uh, in complete agreement on that. So, uh, so uh, you know, I'll ask you again, like I did at the end of the uh, the interview, if there's anything else. And if there isn't, then, uh, you know, like uh, the, there's always time for more. If you get the uh, the hamster still spinning up there and you want to revisit this, we can always add on uh, add on more stuff. But. Uh, this has been awesome. I love I love talking about these old stories with you. They're they're fantastic. Yeah, no, I mean we, we got talking there after the last session, and there's just a few juicy ones we had to fit in, but uh, we're good now. All right, Jaxie. So uh, I want to thank you again. This was a blast, and um, we'll keep in touch. Okay. Hey, you too. Take care, Joe. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. And there you have it, folks. The conclusion part two of my chat with Steve Jakes. I hope that you people enjoyed it. And Steve, thank you very much for your time. That was an absolute blast to do. And I love chopping up your career with you. Thank you again, Steve Jakes. Uh, If you liked what you just heard, please consider subscribing to the program. This way, uh, the program will automatically appear in your podcast feed. You'll never, ever have to worry about missing another episode of Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. And also, if you have a moment, if you could please like, rate, and if you have time, give the show a quick review. It gives the show greater visibility. It will appear in some searches. Um... And, you know, just uh, it helps me out. So I won't ask for too much of your time. If you could do all or any of those things, I would really appreciate it. Now, as far as next week goes, as of now, I do not have a guest scheduled. Um, As I've been saying in the last few episodes, uh, you know, had some changes here recently going back to work. And now I find myself with less time than I had in the last 18 months. So if I cannot secure a guest for next Monday, I believe what I'm going to do is just basically give a state of the dictatorship address and kind of bring you up to speed on what's going on and maybe the future direction of this program. Um, not that I, 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 I was going to say, not that I owe anyone an explanation, but that kind of sounds like a, a dick thing to say. Not that I owe anyone an explanation, but uh, for you folks that tune in every week or tune in periodically, uh, the fact that you tune in and allow me to entertain you, um, I would like to just kind of bring you up to speed and sort of let you know. So uh, I feel like we're all friends here. So if you've taken the time to listen, then uh, then I, I feel that um, I owe it to you to kind of 
tell you about the future of this program and and where it may be going and uh, maybe blow off a little steam and vent a little bit while I'm at it. So uh, hopefully next Monday I do have a guest. If not, it will be the melodic tones of my voice bringing everyone up to speed on the future of Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. So until then, everybody out there, please stay safe.